Wrestling Geeks How you doing? I'm Dane, and this is another episode of Race Wrestling Geeks Alive. <laughs> Damn it. Uh, well, I guess it's going to be a long show. Anyways, <laughs> for us um, not doing a show last week, um, I had a death in the family, my uh, wonderful grandmother that we've actually talked about on the show uh, with the Bex beers at noon had passed away. So big RIP to my grandma. I was out of town, um, but I am been catching up on wrestling and i am ready to talk about some uh awesome wrestling stuff and even some not so awesome wrestling stuff uh or i introduce my co-host when we go into it i'm gonna warn you guys uh we gotta break up the shows uh not because of time restraints necessarily it just um we're gonna do the shows uh portion of it you know going over raw smackdown aw nxt and new japan and we're going to uh, save the bigger stuff, uh, you know, going on some of the scandalous and, and, and messed up situations involving the COVID stuff with WWE, uh, what's going to be happening with Tessa Blanchard, and everything involving uh, the latest women coming out uh, against wrestlers for some pretty heinous things. So bear with me. We'll have a separate show um, for that. It's going to be a little bit more explicit, and, uh, you know, hope you guys tune in. Uh, it's fully going to be me and Chris's opinion, which stuff might differ. I have no idea, but it's going to be an honest episode, and um, it's a lot of fucked up shit. But anyways, uh, easy transition to introduce my host, uh, Christopher Ray Patton. How you doing? I'm just going to put you on the spot. Uh... I am doing okay, all things considering. Um, I once again condolences for your loss. Uh, it's uh, we'll still have noon beers for Absolutely. sure, right? It, it, noon beers are a thing. Just uh, not but Bex. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I, I'm not a big Bex man. <laughs> but uh, yeah, man, it's it's been a weird week of wrestling, and I think you addressed it. We're gonna do a separate show um, because. I would like to think that people listening to wrestling podcasts also listen to other wrestling podcasts, right? So you've been nailed in the head with uh, the allegations and stuff. And we'll put out a separate show. But this one is supposed to be about just wrestling. So let's talk about wrestling and have a lot of fun. I'm, I'm, I'm here for you, Dane. Let's, let's get through this. Let's get through this, man. And um, I want to say, first starting off, I got to give it up, man, for having... I don't know if Vince is is kind of backing off on certain aspects when it comes to match quality um, or certain other things. I never thought I'd say this, and I want to say that I think it's because Paul E. was dealing with Vince and they were clashing constantly that took some of his creativeness that he couldn't do. Uh, I don't know if, if he had more time, you know, if, if uh, you know, Paul Heyman were to be able to develop – to the level of, you know, 
how we expected with certain things they did in ECW and WWE in 2003, early 2004 uh, as a booker. But I got to give it up to Bruce Pritchard. Um, Raw and SmackDown, for the most part, lately seem to be a lot easier to watch. Uh, not all things, but given all the stuff that they're dealing with outside of COVID, I'm just saying as, as being not a full audience and what we're used to, the storylines have been good for the most part. Um, I like what they're doing. Uh, just, we'll, we'll talk about the Street Profits, Vikings, because that's a whole entire different concept. That definitely reeks of Bruce Pritchard, but I think I've liked a lot of the stuff that he's booked lately, and he's been booking shows that are a lot easier to watch, is what I'm trying to say, because especially Raw, it can be a slog to get through. I don't know if you agree with me at all, Chris, but that's kind of how I feel. I would love to see Paul Heyman with a big middle finger end up in e- e- either AEW or try to bring a promotion to greatness if he wants to do booking. He'd basically be screwing over his whole thing with, um, you know, Brock. But I don't know how long he has on this contract. I can, I, I, I feel like he's scorned. But either way, when it comes to Bruce, I think he's had, uh, I think he's done a good job so far. I tend to agree with you, and I think the Paul Heyman situation is weird because I, I don't think they gave him a pay raise when he got promoted. So he's just making the same amount of money, whether he's Brock Lesnar, Paul Heyman, or just normal Paul Heyman, right? <laughs> like, uh, so that one's entirely weird. But yeah, it was a uh, a very entertainment-based episode, which I think is what you were getting at. There was uh, not, so, not so great wrestling it wasn't really built around wrestling as much as the other stuff around it is that what you were kind of saying kind of that's and some of the wrestling has been good um you know we had that aj daniel bryan but for the most part get get us to the pay-per-views the pay-per-views are the big matches get the storyline fleshed out have shorter matches but you know still can have competitive matches and make it more like i said story driven and actually (laughs) Here's a hard thing for anyone to do, including Vince McMahon, segment it well. So you have good stuff to end on, <laughs> stuff to start off with. Which it makes no sense because Vince is the send the crowd home happy guy. That was like his whole thing with WrestleMania. He's like the good guy always wins at the end of WrestleMania. You send send the them home exhausted is my new one. <laughs> yeah, apparently. Um, yeah, no, I agree with you. I think it, it's a it's definitely a different scenario watching Raw. There's a lot of segments, but they're at least trying to build storylines. So I'm not ready to bury it yet. I mean, some of the storylines suck, but yeah. they're they're trying, right? So it's hard for me to it's hard for me to bury it because like we'll see how it plays out, but it's it's very hard for me to just to straight bury uh, a guy that's in a job for one week or whatever. And he's been there the entire time. It's not like he wasn't next to Paul while they were two shows or whatever so uh in okay. and, and the direction seems very similar to whatever paul was going in anyways they haven't shifted things majorly nope they're still associating a lot of the stars maybe they're not getting as much time on camera like an alistair black but they're still finding places to put them and uh it should be interesting i'm assuming well we'll, we'll get to it let's just start off with the, the beginning of the show we'll work down for monday night raw but um WWE champion Drew McIntyre kicked off championship uh, Monday. That was the theme they were going for, a bunch of championship matches. Uh, 
it's kind of like how they're going to be doing um oh man what wcw uh pay-per-view i can't remember i'm sure it will come up but they're using that as a name for a future episode they're going to treat it like a mini pay-per-view and a lot of people are saying well it's kind of messed up because you're borrowing the idea of what aew is doing and you're also using a pay-per-view that dusty used to make but Cody even said, hey, it's their fucking IPs. You know, that's that's what they're going to do. I don't know. It's not Clash of Champions. It's Great American Bash, I believe, is, is the one they're calling their future NXT. But I think stuff like this, trying to give it a title, like Championship Monday, it just kind of makes sense. Um, I don't know if it really works in the ratings. We'll have to find out. I didn't really check out Ron SmackDown. I was more interested in Wednesday night, but we'll get there. But either way, the show started off, like I said, with Drew McIntyre. Coming out, uh, as soon as he came out, he was interrupted by Dolph Ziggler, explaining that he and Robert Roode have been traded to the Red Brand for a deal with AJ Styles to SmackDown. Ugh. Even 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 Drew was like, so it's a two-for-one deal and you feel good about yourself? Either way, explain that he – and oh, yeah, I already said that. Show off claimed that he was responsible for McIntyre's success uh, since returning to WWE in response – a stern McIntyre challenged Ziggler to a title match at Extreme Rules, seemingly telling him to be careful what he wished for. So I like McIntyre as a champion that's like not going to back down. But once again, man, it's it's one of those situations where Dolph is that guy to insert here for a scenario, and he's a company guy, I guess, for that. But in interviews, it's kind of sad. You know, if you've watched his matches in the past when he was passionate about wrestling – it's a lot different than now. It's even more sucked out of his soul than Randy. Uh, well, until recently. Um, but it is what it is. He's more trying to get his comedy career going than caring about if he's ever going to get a title again or whatnot. Um, but it's still, I mean, there there's a storyline. I just, Dolph Ziggler's there. It's not as intriguing. I'm sure that uh, Dolph and Drew will have a pretty good match together but I don't expect this to go anywhere past this. And uh, do you think it's kind of an insult to Bobby Roode and Dolph Ziggler that the two of them would be traded for just AJ Styles? What do you think about all this, Chris? I mean, no, because AJ Styles is 100 times better wrestler than Bobby Roode or Dolph Ziggler. So I feel like that's a kind of equal trade. None. <laughs> like, I think that's kind of an equal trade. Uh, two, here's two guys that are kind of good. For AJ, I mean AJ Styles is like one the phenomenal one, right? He's in all of our top like five lists of wrestlers. Like if, if you pointed to someone in WWE, you looked at the whole wrestling industry and you're like, who are the best wrestlers? He's probably the first name that's going to come up off their roster. So if you're telling me that they traded two people for one person, I'm fine with that. The problem yeah. is they don't actually tell you that the trades fucking matter. So now Ziggler is just in a feud. And this will be a good match, but no one's going to care about it because there's no storyline built in. There's no argument of, like, I should be traded this brand because I feel like I can win the title here and you're screwing me over. There is no upper management of either brand to to make a trade possible. So if you don't, like, have – I mean, even if it's, like, five minutes of show where they're dedicating these people that are making these trades, like – and also, the trade itself doesn't make any sense because they got, like, wasn't it supposed to be one wrestler in a first-round draft pick in the next draft of whatever these brands are? That's I how don't. they sold it. 
So they're just feeding us bullshit. I mean, it's it's typical WWE. But like, if you're like, are you excited about seeing Dolph Ziggler work Drew McIntyre as far as a wrestling match goes? I'm like, yeah, that should probably be pretty good. Like, it's probably true. McIntyre is not really let down. He's not my favorite wrestler just because he works a very slow, methodical style, but he doesn't have bad matches. Like, all of them are very, very fucking good matches. Like, I, I haven't watched a bad Drew McIntyre match. I mean, it's not my thing, but he's good. <laughs> so, as far as that, as far as that standpoint goes, you know, like, it's fine for what it is. I will say the opening of the show. They did a really good job of promoting uh, Champions Night or whatever they're calling it. And uh, the video package, like you talked about, with the Oscar versus Charlotte, which um, Street Profits like. Like the, the entire video package that they had, I thought was was pretty well done. So uh, I, I thought the show started out pretty good. And, uh, you know, as far as Dolph versus Drew, it'll be a good match. There's just, I mean, there's. There's no, no, there's nothing that's gonna bring in a casual fan because there's no actual heat between Drew and Dolph, other than they were both in very suspect crews beforehand, like one three-man band and and two and the other one the uh, cheerleading group that WWE. Yeah, I don't think that the partnership that they had where they were trying to literally mimic Dolph and him as Diesel and fucking Sean like two years ago really is enough storyline. But it is what it is. Like you said, no care in the build-up to the match, but the match should be, uh, you know, fun. It's one of those, um, one of the situations. And you're right. I mean, um, I give it a lot of credit to Dolph's in-ring work and also Bobby Roode's. Uh, probably more so Bobby Roode. Uh, they kind of have a similar concept. They're just they're good in-ring hands, and you know they've been champions before. But yeah, AJ's on that upper echelon, man. With Okada, with uh, Randy Savage with Ricky Steamboat with Shawn Michaels, Bret Hart, uh, Daniel Bryan. That's something that's so hard to equate to as far as being one of the best in-ring wrestlers, period. You know? Yeah. Yeah, agreed. Agreed with you. I mean, it's the same thing as, like, saying someone's one of the best and then there's a Wayne Gretzky the hockey world or there's a michael jordan in the hockey world or there's a ken griffey in the baseball world it really shifts that list a lot like ziggler does not fall in any of those lists across all of wwe's history or wrestling's history um but you know WWE's been doing this. yeah i mean Sorry. wwe's wwe has just been rewriting history for a while though i mean they just did the greatest match of all time dane uh, that was on Backlash, the greatest Backlash match of all time that's ever happened. It's in the Guinness Book of World Records. I don't know how you haven't heard about this. You know, and that, what sucks is that was a pretty damn good match, but just like what I think Edge and Randy were worried about, it got fucking overshadowed by the title that you don't put on something until afterwards. It might have been equivalent just as good, in my opinion, if we didn't get commercial breaks during Daniel Bryan and AJ Styles. But I still like the match and agree with you. I Because we missed talking about this match, I'm just going to go ahead and give my opinion on it because I feel like people want to hear it. It was a nostalgia match. It was that Star Wars movie that Disney put out, the first one they put out. It was that. They did tributes to every wrestler they've ever worked with. And 
they worked hard and it was a good match, but it's not, it definitely doesn't even come close to like the greatest match of all time. <laughs> yeah, if you're complaining to get Flair Steamboat, or no, I'm sorry. And that's what they kept on trying. It was more like trying to do a tribute of like an Austin Rock match, you know? Um, Except neither of them are Austin or The Rock. Like, they yeah. don't have that presence that makes the match have that bigger feel. And I love Edge and, uh, I don't know. I kind of like Randy Orton. SP people on this podcast know, but he's, he's, he's have doing that. good now with his promos and stuff. But yeah, I agree. Yeah, I mean Orton's been great on the mic. Can't say anything about him. I just, I once again, it's, it's kind of the Drew McIntyre thing. It's it's the Triple H style of wrestling where it's just yep. very slow, methodical, and pacing. I'm not a huge fan of. So I'm not gonna shit on him for that. Like I thought that was a very very good match that we should probably talk about because the Edge promo is gonna come up later and it's like. One of the best promos he's ever cut, if not Absolutely. the best. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was it was what it was. It was a very, very, very good. I mean, it was a great WWE match. Like that's, but it's not even better than some of the stuff they've had in NXT, Gargano and, and Ciampa. So uh, I liked. Oh, the- and uh, just to throw a little shade before you continue. Hey Randy, if you want to complain about people doing leg slaps, maybe you shouldn't do it. Uh, what when you do the punt? Just an idea. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I mean, is that all his character though? Because that's what me and you were talking about beforehand. Is that like all just Randy Orton the character or Randy Orton the person? It, it's yeah. Fair tell because he's he's like a notorious dick to people like if you walk up and ask him for an autograph at like the gym or some shit he's been notoriously a dick so it's it's always hard to tell like is he just keeping it kayfabe 100 percent until everything is turned off and he's with his family or whatever or is he uh is he just an asshole <laughs> yes i mean well, like, is he one of the greatest is he one of the greatest wrestlers of all time <laughs> as rick flair would say later in the show or is you he just what? an athlete? The thing is, and I've heard him say this, I've heard other people say this, Rick really believes that, that he's one of the best in-ring wrestlers that he's ever seen. That he can do anything that those guys do, but he chooses not to and picks his spots. I've heard him say that a million times, and I don't think he's just trying to sell Randy. A lot of times he has no reason to. I mean, Randy Orton is crazy athletic, even if you go back to his early career. like If he wanted to do a phoenix off the top rope he could like <laughs> there's no reason he wouldn't be able to do it it's just a uh he's more of the he'll he, he's always wrestled with that heel triple h kind of mindset like all yeah. those cats did they came through there uh and i mean and, and like his dad like even uh bob Orton, and i kind of shit on him beforehand because the cast gimmick that lasted four years or whatever but uh <laughs> I mean, like, he's a great wrestler. They're all great wrestlers. It's just a very different style, and Randy is wrestling very... It's it, it's like Randy should have been born in 1970, and then he, he wouldn't be having this conversation. He'd be like, he's the greatest wrestler of all time, because what happens is now he's wrestling people with different mindsets of what they want to get in. And he's very slow and methodical. So what happens is, like, your favorite wrestler, or, like, one of our favorite wrestlers, AJ Styles. You put AJ Styles against, like, Randy Orton, and what happens is the match is, like, a sludge. 
it gets very, very slow versus what you would want out of an AJ Styles match. But, like, if you put, like, Randy Orton versus, like, Bruno San Martino or something, or, like, him versus Terry Funk, it becomes a very different conversation. It's just wrestling has changed. That's a really good point. It's, uh, he, he works much like his dad. I mean, he, like, you know, he has this big out-of-nowhere spot or whatever. But the rest of his in-ring work is, I mean, Randy Orton, the reason people love fucking Randy Orton is that he is very 70s, 80s wrestling. <laughs> That's why Jim, Jim Cornette and Ric Flair and fucking JR, they all put him over and stuff like that. And I get it. Arnie Anderson's another guy that I've heard talk very big. And I like Randy as a heel, especially. I think he's one of the best heels of his era, for sure. Uh, and his in-ring is not bad. It's just like you said, more slow and methodical. But, like, one of the greatest is kind of, like, hard... For me, when you have people like Daniel Bryan and AJ in the company, I guess. And, dude, if you watch his stuff, and I definitely think, go watch stuff in OVW when he was first starting. Go watch when he was first starting in general. He's doing a fuckload more. Uh, He's doing uh, jumps to the outside. He's doing jumps from the top rope to the outside. He used to do his drop kick was a backflip drop kick, which looked awesome as shit. Uh, It was basically Triple H and Ric Flair said, slow the fuck down, conserve your goddamn body, and do this. Um, and that's that's basically the route that he took, the mindset of his, his idols, basically, that took him under their wing. And then he got completely obliterated and made a fool of himself and had to slowly come back from that. But now he's an older guy. I love this legend killer gimmick, and I know we're going with the big show. Edge was there. I just – I wonder, Chris, if I was WWE, which I'm not, and we've done this a million times with, with fantasy booking – Take the Ciampa thing with him. Ciampa doesn't have a lot to do in NXT anymore. If you want to get Ciampa over big, you know, we saw the reaction to the stare down between the two of them during the Survivor Series match. I didn't have any type of altercation past that. Have fucking Ciampa come out, claim that he's a new legend killer and beat the living shit out of Randy Orton from behind and start a big fight. Then you immediately put him in the spotlight and they can have a series or you can bring it back to NXT if you want, you know. I don't know. That would, That's what I would do. I mean, you and I have been talking about this. If they're going to do the Legend Killer gimmick, I think it's a little too past, right? Like, Randy Orton's older than me. I'm 31. He's like 36 at this point. He is a legend <laughs> at this point. You've yep. entered the echelon of your career. So, if you're going to so do someone new, needs to take you down a notch, you know? So, someone like Killer Cross, for instance. That would be awesome. Just murdering him? That would be great. Right, but they're not going to do that. I mean, Randy Orton no. is always going to be Randy Orton. So the fact that he didn't punt Ric Flair, and I understand the reason why he didn't, because uh, Ric has not had the best health. But that's like the one, right? Like he should have punted him. And yeah, but it but it doesn't actually matter with Randy Orton because Randy Orton is has been so great on the mic. Like he, I'll give Randy Orton credit. Like I will say, most improved wrestler. <laughs> of 2020 because he's turned this shit up to like 11 uh for his character i think just working with people he likes goes a long way but he really has been trying and insulting fans and call him lazy and shit but he's not wrong i mean like wait you want me to fucking have a match against jinder mahal you think you're gonna get my all of randy orton but when when orton's on he's on like that match with him and edge that was great like the trading the uh like the the Eddie Guerrero uh, three amigos 
was it three amigos or the, the yeah. triple suplex spot that was dope they did so many things that were call outs to their friends from like you know that's why i was saying it was like member berries kind of yeah <laughs> but it exactly. was great member berries <laughs> <laughs> oh god i uh yeah and that's the thing it's like it's it's weird, but we'll we'll get back to Orton because we're gonna he's gonna be involved in the show, obviously. Um, but let's get to the next part. Um, the the irresistible force took to the ring, uh, seemingly ready to take Raw hostage until she got answers about last week's controversial Raw women's title match, where she technically got screwed over. However, Nia Jax was interrupted by our truth who was uh, chased off by Akira Tozawa and Ninjas. Yes, all this shit happened. It was so funny. R-Truth came out just talking about stuff, and Nia Jax like, why the fuck are you here? And then they're doing this ninja stuff. I don't know how to feel about it. Uh, anyways, but Charlotte Flair came out, who set off uh, a brawl with Jax uh, that appeared to leave the queen with an arm injury ahead of her title match with Asuka. Good way to set it up. Give Charlotte a reason for finally, you know, and I spoiler, uh, losing against Asuka. Um, give her a little bit of credibility with this thing and set up something with her and Nia. I think Charlotte actually has a real injury or she has to go for surgery. So she's going to be out for a while, um, a couple weeks. So, man, that's something they definitely didn't need. But I don't, it had nothing to do with the arm injury. That was all uh, kayfabe, if you will. Um, but... I, yeah, I like this. Yeah, I thought I thought this was smart. Yeah, so it's not actually an arm injury, but she's having surgery, so she's gonna be out for two months. Is Damn. what I've heard from everything, which really sucks for WWE. I mean, at least they have Oscar there on Raw, I guess. Uh, but Nia, you know, they put Nia in the spot to hurt her to bring back kind of the Becky storyline. Like you're the reason that I'm out because you ruined my arm or whatever. But uh, I thought this was okay. Yeah. That that's the best way to put it. I thought it was okay, but I have no idea what they're doing with their uh their women wrestlers right now on the main products. On on the other product, <laughs> they just have so many good female wrestlers, just like throw them in the ring and they'll have a match. Like EO versus Shotzi. Okay, cool. That's gonna be a good match. Let's do it. <laughs> yeah. But like on the uh main product, um they there's still this mindset of uh and I, I don't want to insult anyone, but there is a mindset of divas and actual wrestlers. Mm-hmm. And I think we know which is which. I'll just put it that way. And there's no offense. A lot of the divas are good at wrestling. But, you know, compared to an Asuka or Charlotte, Io Shirai, you know, it's a little bit different. It's like what we were talking about beforehand. I mean, it's the same yeah. thing with men wrestlers, though. Like, yeah, that, well, we said that. We said that. Yeah. Randy Savage, fucking, you know, AJ Styles. It's just high regard in ring work because, I don't know, they just had something more or they were innovators. Yeah, agreed. I, I, I mean, completely agreed on this one. I, I think Dana Brooke is highly underused. I'll say that. I do, too. I do, too. I'm glad they step her in every so often, but they need to, like, kind of go completely in on it. Uh, Liv Morgan, for that matter, has really impressed me lately, and she's kind of taken a dive, too, and kind of gotten beaten. But, um, yeah, so I got to ask you about this stuff, man. So the anything you can do, we can do better 
thing between the Viking Raiders, Street Profits. It was supposed to culminate uh, at their last pay-per-view. It ended up being a ridiculous segment that was some of it, like their other shit, some of it was funny, a lot of it was stupid, uh, bringing out the whole entire Kirazawa and the ninjas and shit. Uh, but finally, they get to have a match and um, to prove, I guess, of, of who is going to be you know, the best within this. They're tied. That's the storyline. So now it's finally a wrestling match. And I think that the wrestling match was good. But I, I was thinking this. I was like, this, this is like this is like if the PG era tried to book LOD versus fucking Harlem Heat. Like we would get this silly shit. And this is definitely Bruce Pritchard, Vince McMahon with all of it. Like I said, some of it was entertaining. Some of it was absolutely just dumb. Uh, but the match itself I liked. I didn't like the match. Uh, they won, or I should say Street Profits regained the title over. Um, I don't know what that does for the Viking Raiders. They're now like best buddies. I really think there should have been a time where the Viking Raiders just lured them in and just beat the shit out of them right before the actual match. Like it was all a ploy. Would have got a strong heel team. Anyways, the one thing I did like, for Selena, she was watching them in the back do their promo, and she was kind of there, and you're like, why is she there? Street Profits win the match, Viking Raiders leave, out comes Andrade and Angel Garza, and they beat the living shit out of the Street Profits. So now they're a fucking tag team, which I'm excited about. Viking Raiders come back to try to save them. Selena and Andrade and Angel leave. So, like I said, a lot of these aspects I like, even with the segments that made me laugh, made me pop, if you will. But a lot of it was stupid. We had this last match, pretty decent match on television set on a pay-per-view. But I love the setup of Angel Garza and Andrade in a tag, uh, for a tag team, and I think they're going to get those titles. I One, I think they're a great tag team, and Selena Vega is one of my favorite managers. Probably my favorite right now. I think she's phenomenal at what she's doing. Um, I mean, well, also, Tully's out there, so that's that's a, like in Arn. So I'm jaded on this, but as far as like a manager, I think that she's probably the best. They're kind of just there because they're Tully and Arn, right? Um, or Jake, the snake, for instance. But uh, yeah, I thought this match was fine. The biggest problem that WWE is going to have is they're not building their tag division. It's still around three teams. If they would have kept, like, the Revival and Anderson and Gallows, the club, or whatever, now this becomes way more interesting, where the two top tag teams are friends, and they're having these good matches, kind of like the Usos and uh, and New Day. It's, it's a similar storyline, but it's like they have no reason to be very mad at... I mean, they have reason to be mad at Angel and, obviously, uh, Andrade, but where does it go from there? And there's no one else for the other tag team to feud with. It's just like there's only three there's only three tag teams on Raw is more of the problem. Apparently. <laughs> so like Andrade just feuds with I, everybody. He, they're, they're turning him into Dolph Ziggler. He's just gonna feud with everybody, which sucks because a we me and you both thought he was gonna be like a huge star. They could have easily made him a huge star. Uh, and and you know what? Between the two of them, I hate to say this, but you know, not 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 Chris necessarily on, you know, in ring work overall, but I think Angel's actually has more of the charisma out of the two of them. 
and has the possibility of becoming more of the star of the two of them. Angel Garza is very much a Eddie Guerrero type. He has a charisma for sure, and he's good in ring worker. Andrade is the guy. If I had to wrestling, if I had to have a safe wrestling match right now with someone that has has trained for this at at one point in time, uh, he would be the guy that I would want to have that match with, even if it was a squad. Yeah. He has really great matches. I mean, like to me, he had the best Drew. Could you imagine him and Savage, man, in a fucking match? It'd be great. I mean, like I don't know. I like their attack team. I think that's great. The more of the problem is just that, and this is always going to be a problem with WWE because they've never cared. Is they don't care about their tag team divisions. So there's only like two or three teams ever at a time. Yep. So you're just going to see this rotated in and out, and it's going to be frustrating as you watch the product because it's going to like what's going to happen is you're going to have a singles match, right, and then a tag match, and then a singles match, and then it'll end up in a three way at the pay per view. <laughs> so <laughs> that's hard. And then you look at the competition with AEW, and I'm not saying AEW is better than Raw or whatever. They have like seven good tag teams. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, some of the best man in the industry. It's it's fucking ridiculous. Um, yeah, I agree with you completely. Um, I don't know, man. It's it's so weird. Uh, maybe why don't you use Austin Theory and fucking uh, uh oh, I can't remember his name. Um, Buddy Murphy. Uh, yeah, put that. Actually, make them a fucking tag team. Have them try to go for the gold. They're a heel tag team. They can put together shit. Where the fuck did Ricochet and fucking Cedric Alexander go? That had so much potential. Once again, they just put tag teams in a spot on Raw, and then they're like, this is the spot for tag teams. And they don't care about the rest of the division. They have so many, I mean, like, if we're getting at this, why did Chad Gable and Jason, uh, like, ever break up? I don't know, man. Like, American Alphas, like, why did they ever break up? That could have been and, the greatest tag team of all time. And when Jason had his injury, and that wasn't a possibility anymore, and I, the Shelton stuff was all right. It was just too much of a throwback. You could have replaced Jason with Apollo Crews, and Tim and Chad would have been a great fucking tag team still. But they just, whatever. He's, he's Shorty G, remember? Forgot. Ugh. No, I try to pretend that Shorty G doesn't exist in my mind because yeah. someone of the talent level of Chad Gable is baffling to me. It's well, baffling. hopefully with SmackDown, stuff's headed in a different direction. Who knows if that's actually going to happen? Uh, the next thing that we we had we had Charlotte and Oscar, and despite suffering an injury uh, to her left arm in the brawl with Nia early in the night, uh, Charlotte Flair fought valiantly in hopes of capturing the Raw Women's Title. However, once she was trapped in the Oscar lock, the queen had no choice but to tap out, ensuring uh, the empress of tomorrow's reign would continue. It's a good match. Probably match of the night for me. I mean, they arguably the two best uh, females on the main roster, I would say, uh, when it comes to wrestling and two of the best in the world, period, you know, female or male. Uh, so they're going to have a good match. It was definitely lightened down because it was a TV match. But I, like I said, it made sense that Nia hurt 
Charlotte's arm. Charlotte is a kryptonite against Asuka. It's a big testing point. Seems like something you would say for a pay-per-view, really. But, you know, she got the Asuka lock. Her arm's already fucked up. Asuka gets a win. It kind of sucks for Asuka that she can get a complete win, if you will. But, like I said, I think it was match of the night. What would you think about this match, Chris? I agree with you. Match of the night. Match of the night, by far. They're both great. Um, I I would want everyone to keep in mind that Charlotte has been wrestling on three shows <laughs> where everyone else is just doing COVID stuff, apparently. <laughs> what the hell? Charlotte's been working her ass off. I'm not, I'm not going to say I'm not insulting anyone, but like Charlotte's been doing pay-per-views and doing NXT and whatever other show they throw her on. Uh, she's going to be back in two months. And she's definitely going to be an anchor on Raw. And they've done a great job with Asuka. The the fact that they're letting Asuka talk and, and promo more, I think is amazing. It doesn't have to be in English. Like, look at her YouTube channel. It's just great. They should, like, actually look at her YouTube channel and be like, that's how you make this character good. Um, She's just such a monster. Like Asuka and Charlie. I, I thought it was a fucking great match. The, the Naya thing, like... I don't know. I mean, I guess you have to have a heel there. I just kind of don't want Nia wrestling either of these people because I'm very afraid that she's going to drop <laughs> two of the best female wrestlers on their neck or something. Like, <laughs> I don't like it. Yeah, I agree. All right. R-Truth was fully prepared to fight Akira Tozawa and his ninjas to defend his 24-7-7-11 I-95 uh, U- U.S. Uh, TV title. Uh, but he was not prepared for Bobby Lashley. The almighty bulldozed through Tozawa's ninjas and then ragdolled R-Truth around the wing in his full Nelson. After dishing out enough damage, Lashley left with MVP and Tozawa emerged from under the ring uh, sliding in for a pin and capturing the 24-7 championship. We gave Akira Tozawa a lot of credit for his work defensively, if you will, losing on the main roster, but also, you know, what he was during, doing during the tournament. And now he's a fucking ninja. Um, how do you feel about all this? All right, let's talk about Akira Tozawa as a worker. Akira Tozawa has been great the past three months and should not have been saddled with this bullshit gimmick. But even in this gimmick, he's doing really good. He's being a very over-exaggerated character. It's like, why does he have ninjas? Like, the fuck happened? Like, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how to explain this, but um, Akira Sazawa, once your contract's up, please go somewhere else. No shit. Here's a question also with this next thing. So we have Natalia. She's all confident now. She's got Lana, you know. I'm glad we're splitting Lana from Bobby Lashley. Just fucking just don't even go back to her. But now Lana's with Natalia. And we have Liv Morgan they've been building. Obviously, Paul Heyman, that was one of the people that he saw potential in. And Natalia beats her. I don't know why Natalia needs to win. I get they're putting them together for Total Divas because they've always had an interaction on that, that's what I'm assuming at least. Um, but with Liv Morgan afterwards, she was trying to get uh, – uh, Ruby Rat was trying to console her. She didn't want anything to do with it. 
What are they doing with Liv Morgan, and how do you like the pairing of Natalia and Lana? She was relevant to the match, so it's hard for me to have. You're pushing Liv, but then she takes a loss to Natalia. So my guess is they're doing the old fallback of like, hey, Becky is gone. We need to settle up, and Charlotte has an injury for two months, so Natalia is probably getting a push is what I think is going to happen. Lana as a manager, like, that's weird, right? Because they didn't even really finish off the feud with her um, at that pay-per-view. I mean, they had a blow-off, but they didn't have, it like, a divorce or they didn't like it. So the entire thing is weird. I like Natalia. I think she's pretty good. Um, oh, I agree. But this sucks for Liv Morgan. <laughs> yeah. I'll say that. Is there, any, is there anything going with maybe getting her and Ruby together uh, in a tag team and putting them in the tag team division? Dane, you're asking if WWE cares about all right, tag, all right, yeah. tag, tag teams. Well, they've been <laughs> using them lately on NXT, and, you know, you got Bailey and Sasha with them finally. So there's been some good things, I suppose. But I don't has know, there been? I mean, other than, like, Bailey and Sasha showed up and they popped a rating this week, but, like, has there been good things about the tag team division? Because they don't actually care about it. <laughs> yeah, you're right. All right, so this was actually one of my favorite segments on the show. We had the Nature Boy. He arrived at Raw and anointed Randy Orton, the greatest wrestler ever. We were talking about this earlier. In the wake of his uh, win over Edge at Backlash and his heinous attack on Christian, retiring well, that's what he claimed, uh, both uh, both guys. The Viper arrived to accept the honor and let the WWE Universe know that he has plans, uh, once again, uh, commenting on his legacy of being the Legend Killer, which made me all of a, think, all of a sudden think, like, you're not going to fucking RKO Ric Flair, which would have been fucking crazy and actually would have been much more nuts than what happened. However, the big show arrived to tell uh, Orton for his ruthless actions last week. Remember, the last time we saw Big Show, he popped up and fought Drew McIntyre after his Mania match and was a heel. But now, you know, because he had his Netflix show that, you know, during a promo beforehand, he definitely had a plug, which I actually do like. It's very charming. Don't expect it to be fucking Emmy Award winning material, people. However, uh, he basically wanted to take out Randy for his actions after heated back and forth. The world's largest athlete dared Orton to step up, but Orton and Flair left, and the Viper warning the giant of what happens next is on him. So we have something I don't care as much. It's going to get Grant Randy to get another legend, you know, legend killer, that type of gimmick. But the Flair kind of now seems like he's going to be Randy's manager. And I liked what he was saying. I like Randy's cutting great promos, like we already said. Um, you know, he can't do anything with Edge. So now they have to take him to a, a different direction. Uh, but this will be a fine pairing for a match. I'm more like I'm more like the Ric Flair, Randy Orton, and it's just like a matter of time of is Randy Orton going to turn on Rick? Also, and I put this on our, our Facebook on Geek Vibes Nation. Uh, just for the four horsemen, there's always been a rotating fourth, but there's been three members that are have been a part of it, usually. Well, Tully later on, but that's a different four horsemen to me in the 90s. Arn Anderson, Tully Blanchard, and, and Ric Flair. Ric Flair gets Randy Horton, 
Arn Anderson gets Cody Rhodes, and Tully Blanchard gets Sean Spears. What the fuck? Anyways, Chris, uh, <laughs> comment on this segment. Ten. 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 <laughs> That's a good gimmick, right? It's not like anyone on this podcast has ever talked about how that would fail. Uh, <laughs> I don't even know where to go because you, you threw the Sean Spears thing. Uh, the Randy Orton, um, Ric Flair interaction was great. I just expected him to punt Ric Flair. Because if he's the legend killer, kill the legend. In fact, I would have him fucking punt. I mean, you can do a punt without actually doing a hit in general. It, it requires zero bumps, right? It just depends on how you film it. I would have him punt his own dad. I'd have him be punting everyone. Anyone that's in the Hall of Fame, call him up. Randy Orton should be punting them if you're going to bring it back as a legend killer. But outside of that, uh, yeah, I don't know. The Sasha Banks and uh, iconic stuff. I, I, not very good. Flair was great. Orton was great. It filled up a lot of time. Do you think that that's inevitably going to happen? That, you know, if Rick's going to be in his corner for a while and then eventually Randy's going to fucking just either punt or RKO him? I, I don't think he's going to catch an RKO, but the punt is the, – the fact they're bringing back the punt makes it very serviceable for Rick Flair, right? Because Rick – they're not going to let Rick take a bump because of all – Even though health. he would. <laughs> I mean, he would. I'm not saying – I mean, Rick's probably taking a bump at his house right now. Like, his wife accidentally opened a cabinet too fast. He just took a bump. Do you think he and put then, his, his jacket on the ground and gave it an elbow <laughs> drop like that? Yeah. But, I like, doctors in WWE, because they don't want to get sued, they're like, Rick, you can't take a bump. <laughs> but the punt, you can – if you pull the camera angle right, you don't even have to hit the guy with your foot, right? Yeah. So, I feel like yes, he is getting punted to oblivion, and it would it would be so great if they like I don't know bring in everyone, <laughs> like bring in like Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. What's he doing? Let him punt that guy again. <laughs> like <laughs> Sting. Oh getting... <laughs> oh no! What if what if Rick what if Ricky get him get a confrontation and then he goes to do the crossbody and goes right into an RKO and then a punt? So that'd be cool. <laughs> yeah. Is he like, too old? No. People would love that. People love RKO out of nowhere. Anyways, Randy Orton's on fire right now, and I don't know what happened in the past. I don't know. How long have we been doing this, this show? Three years? What the hell happened? Did Randy He Orton finally gives a shit? Or something? Yeah, like. <laughs> I've been burying him for three years, and now I have to put him over because he's been really great. What the hell? I, I'm going to blame it on the company. That's all I can do. I'm blaming blame you, on, Vince. Blame it on COVID. Um, that was a joke that actually makes sense because it's all been happening. I don't know. Maybe he's getting more time. Anyway, so like you were kind of alluding to, Billy Kay and Peyton Royce set out to make championship Monday uh, a repeat of WrestleMania 35 where they dethroned Sasha and Bailey to become the women's tag team champions. However, it was not meant to be. And Banks forced Royce to tap out with the Banks statement. I think that they're going to put more stuff between Billy Kay and Peyton Royce, which I don't get, but they've already alluded to this when Billy slapped her when she lost the match. So I kind of see that coming. I don't care for the match. I'm just glad that Sa- Sasha and Bailey got that fucking win back for Mania. That's the only thing I could say about this. 
WWE doesn't care about tag teams. That's it. That's the, that's, that's my only comment on the match. That's it. All right. So after the match, the boss said that she heard Bailey talk about being a double champion and wants to become one too. And it was almost like, uh oh, is this finally going to happen? And then she called out Raw Women's Championship or champion Asuka. So the Empress of Tomorrow accepted the challenge, and but she uh, basically came in the ring, got in her face, and uh, Sasha got her in the bank statement. So we got a good match set up. I don't think they give a fuck about the brand split, so whatever. I'm just not going to even get annoyed by that. I guess because they're the tag champions, they can go from one to the other, so I guess technically I'm not going to even fucking give them credit for that. But we're getting Sasha versus Asuka. That should be good. This reminds me, do you think they're going to do the two-man power trip where they just have both belts? They have all the belts? I don't even think that. I think it's just building to a four-way at Mania. That could be it too, man. I could definitely see that. So Becky's not going to be there, but you're going to get Charlotte, Asuka, Sasha, and Bailey in a four-way. And the feud is going to be between, the, the feud you're building is between Bailey and Sasha. And if they do it right, That'll be great. <laughs> like, we've been asking for it for a while. Yeah. So so that's the question. Does so in this match, for the, at the next pay-per-view, Extreme Rules, between Sasha and Asuka, does she get the title from Asuka and now they have all the belts? Or does Bailey do something like she's been doing where she'll, like, just, you know, say, yeah, Sasha will fight you? And gets her into some shit or kind of screws up in a tag match. Does Bailey cause Sasha the belt and cause tension finally between the two of them? I think that's where they're going is that Bailey will call Sasha the match in some form, even if it's like a DQ finish or whatever. And then you could just have Oscar exist on the other brand because it seems like they're building Natalia and Lana to feud with Oscar. I, I don't think they're going to take the title off her this soon, especially because she didn't really win the title. She just won that weird money in the bank thing. Like it, it, it's very suspect. Also, where's Carrie Zane in all this? I don't know. Getting her face put back together because of fucking Naya. She shanks her in a parking lot or something. <laughs> he walks up and stabs her in the leg seven times. The hell is going on? I don't know, man. All right, so uh, despite being rammed shoulder first into a turnbuckle by Shelton Benjamin during MVP's VIP lounge, Paula Cruz fought through the pain and defeated the uh, uh, basically Benjamin. Uh, but after Cruz found out uh, that rebuffing MVP's offer comes at a price as Bobby Lashley emerged and gave him the full Nelson. So it looks like we're going to put these guys together. I could see them putting the title on Bobby. Um I guess he's representing Shelton now, too. Uh, but, you know, they're doing the whole thing where Paulo's the super baby face. There's no way he'd join a bad guy group. So that's what they went with. I still really like Apollo Crews. I think he's a great in-ring wrestler, and I like seeing him get some spotlight. I just don't see it now that Paul Heyman's in charge lasting too long. And that title could actually look pretty good on Bobby Lashley with his new position with MVP. What do you think? Well, you mean you mean Paul Heyman's not in charge anymore. What did I say? You said he was in charge. Oh yeah, yeah. Sorry. Yeah, Thank I you. Gotcha. For I'm just making. I'm making you sure we're reversing. 
Yeah, got you. Uh, tag me in, dog. Uh, Apollo Crews has been awesome. Like, I thought this was a, like a good segment for Apollo Crews. They should do something with this guy. They can easily build him into a Kurt Angle type character. He's not going to be Kurt Angle because I don't think he has the personality. But he has the in-ring skills to be something bigger if you book him properly. I think everyone's been saying that for years. I'm just confused on why he came up from NXT so, like, so quickly. I don't know, man. Is it like if he had won the title on NXT when he came into your main roster, it would have been a bigger deal, and you buried him for two years. Like he was part of Titus O'Neil's little crew. People forget about that, but was like uh, Titus Enterprises or. <laughs> Whatever. Oh, um, God dang it, man. What was Tyus's? Yeah, it was something. It was him, Dana Brooke, and oh, man, I forgot what the name of it is. Probably because it really didn't need to happen. But also, since you said that, Tyus O'Neill got a huge award. I forgot what the name of it is, but it was a very prestigious award for, um, you know, uh, helping out his community and rebuilding it and just being a good dude. I think it's a Muhammad Ali award. I could be wrong about that, but congratulations to him, and that's fucking awesome. Maybe WWE could push him since he's a good dude and a pretty good wrestler based on his size. Probably not. I mean, they could, but like if he touches Vincent Man on the back, he's gonna catch like a, a month suspension. Yep. <laughs> we should talk about that. <laughs> Yo, son of a bitch. Um, Titus O'Neil's out there being the face of your company and doing good things for your company and being a guy that everyone loves. He's at the Nick Awards. He's basically the John. He's like an underrated John Cena. And then he he pats you on the back and you suspend him for a month. Like fuck off. I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm still pissed about that. We talked about. You want to dive into the archives, listeners? We definitely talked about this before. So he was he got the uh, Muhammad Ali Sports Humanitarian Award. That's a huge prestigious award in Tampa. And uh, good up, good up, Titus. I agree with everything Chris said though. Uh, so the last thing that we had for Monday Night Raw was a segment with Rey Mysterio. Uh, he returned to the ring, expressed pride in his son Dominic for fighting off Seth. Uh, not based on what he told him not to do, uh, but. He fought him off and got away from his disciples, but he expressed that he needed to settle the score at Rollins himself. Uh, it wouldn't be long before the Midnight Messiah, Murphy and Austin Theory, arrived and tried to intimidate Mysterio uh, and Dominic. However, Mysterio had backup with Aleister Black and Humberto Carrillo, who helped turn the tides in the fight. Things looked bleak when Rollins and his crew got a hold of Dominic and tried to inflict the same eye injury on him while Ray watched. But Black and Carrillo arrived uh, with chairs to stop these guys. So it looks like we're going to be getting a three-on-three. I'm assuming I'm assuming Dominic's not going to be involved in this. Either that or Mysterio maybe gets taken out. I don't know if they're going to do that. But Mysterio, Alistair, Humberto against, uh, you know, the Straight Edge Society point two. Um, what do you think? Uh, I think Babyface when you put Dominic over – or, now, this is fantasy booking. They lose, he gets brutalized, they ruin his face, and they make a point to show that his face is ruined. And now he starts donning his dad's mask. 
he starts being Rey Mysterio Jr. Jr., basically. Uh, I think there's so many ways to get Dominic over. Uh, he's good in ring, and also his dad is Rey Mysterio Jr. So, like, I don't know how they... I can't even come up with a scenario on how they can fuck this up, but I also know they can possibly fuck this up. Yep. <laughs> but uh, uh, what would you think about them taking his eye? And that's why he wears a mask. That's why he switches to being a full Lucha to replace your, you know, like Ray's not going to be there forever, but they could be a tag team and then Ray could retire, be his manager. I think there's a good way for him, like good reasoning for him to don the mask, right? Like Lucia, that's the, that's the importance of donning the mask is is family lineage and and like what your your the what the Aztecs went through according to Lucia Underground. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but you get what I'm saying. Like you can build a storyline around this. Like I, I don't know. I I know that he's lost a lot of weight and he looks in way better shape than he did when he first showed up. He looked and, great uh, in that attack against Seth Rollins, man. He was very quick. Yeah. So I mean, I that's how I would build it. If, if it's me personally building it, I'm like they slaughter his face somehow. Like I don't. I, Obviously, I'm 1970s, but like Abdullah the Butcher, he pulls out a knife and he just starts slicing the face. And now this man has to don a mask because you've ruined his face. <laughs> right. This is this is very interesting. I, I, I like it. It's you can do it at the pay-per-view. You can have a three on three Dominic's in the corner of them. And then afterwards, they knock out all the heroes and, and do what they're going to do before. Like, you know, have Ray watch while they take it out on Dominic and then he has to wear a mask for whatever reason, you know, for, for whatever they do to him. And you can kind of go down that route. I, I like that idea. Um, I'm just wondering, is Seth Rollins, we kind of talk about this every single time, the midnight or the midnight Messiah, the, the Monday Messiah, is that really fucking doing anything for him? I want him to go. Uh, and I've said this a million times. When I first started watching wrestling, I was very impressed by Seth as a heel. I thought he was very good, and I thought he was, you know, very Triple H-ish in aspects, but he was such a – the architect was such a fucking dislikable heel. This one is just boring. I he As far as a cult leader, he's just – I mean, I put Brody Lee over him right now. I mean, and you've had so many good <laughs> ones in the past, CM Punk, Bray Wyatt – uh, you know, uh, Kevin Sullivan, Raven. It's just not working for me. I want the architect if he's going to be a heel. I think that's been the best uh, of Seth, period, so far. I mean, I love that babyface run that was a fucking minuscule moment. But I think the architect, that swarmy heel where he's a dickhead, it's just it's it, it's better for him, man. I don't know. What if the savior is the Messiah goes to NXT and he stills? part of the undisputed era and then you have the four horsemen of the apocalypse that's interesting or just a fourth member and calling him that i like that name i just the personality is it working for you as a gimmick no but also i don't think seth has ever been that good at promos even going back to roh he's a great wrestler 
Seth is, is a great entertainer, great wrestler. WWE ruined him. When he came back from double knee injury surgery, they should have just had him been the biggest baby face of all time. So I blame this all on WWE. Like, why would he be a heel coming back? Like, they, they popped for him like they did Triple H. They did the same fucking thing with Triple H. When Triple yep. H came back from that quad injury and he won that Royal Rumble, he was like the biggest baby face of all time at that point. Like, why would you have not have done that with uh, with Seth? And then instead, they were he was a heel, and and Finn got his arm broken, and whatever they put the title on Kevin Owens, which was great because Kevin Owens is a good champion, but he was a transitional champion because you're bringing in Goldberg, you're bringing in Brock, you're doing you're doing a bunch of other shit. <laughs> uh, there's a lot of conversation to be had about Seth Rollins. His career could be a, a different trajectory. If he would have came back at Mania after those knee injuries and won as a babyface and been a babyface against the company instead of like seven months later, he's a babyface. A lot of his career would look a lot different because even the Bray Wyatt thing, I think people would forgive because they're like, you know, he was like, he's kind of like John Cena. But the problem with (laughs) Seth Rollins is. The problem with Seth Rollins is, like, you never know what his character is. Like, he's the Monday Night Messiah. That's just a gimmick that Michael Cole said to me. Like, he's not – it's not like Bray Wyatt where he has actual Cole. He just has dudes that hangs around with him. It's not believable. It's not like Aleister Black sitting in a closet or whatever, like, chanting around candles. Like, that's believable. But Seth Rollins' Monday Night Messiah gimmick is like, I just say a bunch of stuff into a camera and then they give me a gimmick. That I mean, that's how it comes off to me. Like, the Brody Lee example is great because Brody Lee's character does seem like he is starting <laughs> like a militia of wrestlers, specifically with the Cole Cabana stuff. So I have a problem with it, but it's it's easily solvable because... Seth Rollins is very good. You just get, you know, one or two other guys. You, you, you do the four horsemen of the apocalypse thing. You can use four horsemen, obviously, because you own all the rights to all that shit anyways. Um, and maybe he makes Ric Flair a manager or something. Like, that's what they should be doing. Maybe actually combine doing. them uh, with uh, Mr. Randy Orton, who already likes uh, Austin Theory a lot and has put him over. Maybe make that a unit. Are, are or is you that, saying they should? Or is that too much? I think they should fucking get Randy Orton, call him the cleaner. Because if you're gonna, <laughs> if you're gonna be a if you're gonna be a dick to the other if, <laughs> if you're gonna be a dick to competition, you might as well throw the full birds like <laughs> Austin, right? Like. <laughs> Might as well. I mean, like, what are you going to do? Randy Orton? He's the cleaner. Because you can't type, like, there is no, like, copy infringement of calling someone the cleaner. Because it's from the Pulp Fiction movie. I mean, he's the wolf. He's the cleaner. (laughs) So, you could definitely do that. That would be awesome. I don't think they were going to do any of the shit we just said, but it would be great. Probably not. Yeah, I, I agree. All right, well, I guess um, let's go to uh, AEW. I thought Dynamite this week was pretty damn good. 
Uh, we opened up with the Lumberjack match uh, with Wardlow and Luchasaurus. And once again, I think they – I don't – they need to explain to their announcers the way they're going to do some of these matcher, matches, especially JR, because JR, I think, is traditional Lumberjack matches. I don't think it's, um, you know, no disqualification technically. I think that if you get thrown outside, you get thrown back in. You know, that's about it. So – they were doing things, and JR seemed confused, and I, I don't think it was his fault too much. But, dude, to see these two guys, Wardlow, who's very impressive looking, reminds me almost of, almost of Scott Norton. I think I've thrown that before at other guys, but, like, you know, at least look-wise and scary motherfucker. And Luchasaurus is always awesome, but bell rang. These two behemoths ran at each other. They collided. They threw hands, got some shots in. Uh, Luchasaurus landed, kicks, pushed uh, Wardlow to the ropes. Luchasaurus ran into a lariat. I mean, it just went off with the baby faces getting a chance to uh, attack Wardlow. They backed the fuck off. And then you would have it with Luchasaurus getting thrown out, and the heels beat the shit out of him. I don't know why Ricky Starks was with the heels. I want to say that. I think he's more uh, suited as a baby face, especially like later on when he's helping break up. Uh, Sheeta from killing Penelope Ford and also last week, but whatever. That's a minor detail. Then the fighting outside happens, and you basically have Jurassic Express going against Wardlow and MJF, and they go up to the top ramp, and people are just getting thrown the fuck off into the crowd of people. A lot of it was Gaga, but it was still a fun big guy match um, that I enjoyed, and uh, you know, uh, the ending with Wardlow getting the win. Uh, so now he's five and one, I believe, and still some tension between Jungle Boy, Jungle or, or Jurassic Express against MJF and Wardlow, and we got announced from Tony Khan via uh, Tony Schiavone that he had just word that he just booked for Fighter Fest a match with Wardlow and MJF going against Jungle Boy and Luchasaurus. So that should be pretty good, man. Um, like I said, I, I really like this match. Um, some of it, some of the silliness is just there, but I think they, they did it well. You know, the baby face and the heels, Lumberjacks start just beating the shit out of each other. They're not paying attention. And, you know, you got, I think Wardlow, Wardlow through Jungle Boy, he fucking launched Marco Stun, went up in the air. Uh, and then he got, <laughs> then he got knocked off. Uh, and MJF got knocked off by Luchasaurus. And then shoot, Luchasaurus does a fucking shooting star press on top of all of them. So it was pretty fucking – it was it was uh, pretty crazy. Uh, how'd you like it for an opening match? Wardlow is like Vince McMahon's wet dream. <laughs> so I don't know how they're going to miss on this guy. They're doing the Sean Diesel angle. That's what they're doing. So if yep. – like you, like you were saying, if they end up doing this tag match, and they've teased it, they've teased like MJF abusing him, etc. He's gonna turn on him, and I think he can be a huge deal because, like, I don't want to compare him to Diesel because he's a way fucking better wrestler than Kevin Nash. Uh, that guy is incredible, and I said that after that Cody match, I was like, he's fucking incredible, and then we we only what saw like two matches before yeah dude uh, that cage match like he is great and he saved cody's life too so that they, we should talk about that where he saved cody's life after he went off the top 
He had to like Ugh. walk around like a that was their lodge. Yeah. <laughs> I texted Ugh. you immediately. I was like, oh my god, Wardlow just saved Cody Rhodes' life. <laughs> uh, that's a guy you can get behind as a big guy, and he is uh, he's stacked. I don't. I love Wardlow. I I think he's gonna be a huge star. I could be completely wrong. Maybe he needs to lose the name. Maybe just War should be his name or something, but uh, he's going to have the diesel push. That's what they're doing. There's a lot of things in the AEW that they recycle from other companies. and this one Oh, yeah. This one definitely seems like he's going to fuck MJF up sometime. Dude, I'm still convinced. I, I don't know. Like Cody throwing up the four, you know, in his promo the week previous and scratching his chest for some reason, you know. And then with Arn Anderson and now this rumor that Tully's going to manage FTR, I think we're going to get we're going to get basically the Sting versus Horseman storyline, and Darby Allen's going to get his win fucking from Cody eventually, and Cody's going to go heel. I really think that's going to happen. It it seems a lot like. AEW fans are just, or in general, the booking is like, you remember when the 90s were good? Here's those storylines. <laughs> remember when the late 80s and 90s? You know, this here you go. <laughs> yep, I agree. So, so I'm assuming that he's going to, he's going to kill MJF at some point. <laughs> God, man. That's going to be fun. Hey, even I would love it if MJF is the reason why they lose and he gets pissed off at Wardlow. Like that would be, that'd be great. Um, what well, I mean, yeah, that's that's uh, that's you know, Sean versus uh, Sean with Diesel and Sean with Sid. After the fact, he's always pissed at the other guy. They have nothing to do with it. It's it's God, such Sean a good was a good story. heel back in the day. Yes. Well, are you saying that HBK is a good wrestler, Darren? <laughs> Just in general, all around? Yes, I am. The okay. Michael Jordan of fucking wrestling. Thank you very much. Uh, all right, so here... With dunk on him. Well, yeah, you're right about that. <laughs> Kirishita comes out, uh, but before her match begins, uh, what's his name? Uh, Penelope Ford's uh, boyfriend, Kip Sabian. That's how irrelevant he is. He was getting her attention, her flagging her down. Penelope Ford, she goes beeline for her. She's talking a bunch of shit. Uh, argument breaks out, almost gets in a fight. So she does like, I got to get this shit over with real quick, and I'll be right back. She goes in against this girl, this poor girl, Red Velvet, beats her in five seconds with a running knee, and just gives her the falcon arrow, done, and then goes after fucking Penelope Ford. Punches Kip Sabian in the goddamn face. And, and finally, they break up at between, you know, Ricky Starks pulling her away and fucking Kip Sabian pulling Penelope Ford away. I'm really looking forward to this match. I like the buildup. I liked all of this. And I, it made Sheeta look like a fucking badass. They've booked Sheeta very well in your, your synopsis of that is exactly how I felt. That was like, so I don't know. Sheeta showed up and she whipped her by his ass. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> like it wasn't even close. Like it was a squash match, but they did it very well. There was so much extracurricular activities happening. It was like, but she gave zero fucks. She's like, I'm gonna win this match because I'm the champion. My God, she is great. She is great. Yep. 
So we had something that was kind of interesting. They tried to have like basically like a UFC press conference uh, for the match with Jake, Jake Hager and uh, Cody. And Jake was, you know, playing the person that's late coming in, Conor McGregor, um, and being that fucking dickhead while Cody's on time. Arn Anderson basically t- says that Jake's got, you know, he thinks he's 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 better than everyone and that he's such an efficient fighter, but it's not going to work with Cody. Cody cuts a promo about uh, Ricky Starks and how, you know, he believes in the American dream and that Ricky didn't have, you know, a whole lot. He came to the company and left with a fucking job. And, uh, you know, he's going in his baby face direction. And then Jake comes in with his wife, you know, finally shows up, gets a little bit of shit from Cody and Arn. They go to do the face off. Uh, and Jake, and this has happened in UFC, that, you know, puts his fist. To Cody's fight, or to Cody's fight, to Cody's face, the dude's getting a brawl, uh, somewhat, Cody, well, actually, Arn goes for him, so want to fight him, Cody's like, don't fucking worry about it, I can handle it, and then Jake's wife throws water in his face, Brandy gets all pissed off, and the Hagers leave, didn't think this was that bad, you know, Jake's not gonna win, just like he didn't win against Moxley, but he's, he looks impressive, he's got that pedigree of being an MMA fighter, you know, I get it. And uh, I thought they pulled this off pretty well. I like the sports feel for things. Um, I think at one point Arn got Jake confused with Jake Roberts when he was talking about him, but, you know, whatever. Arn, Arn's Arn. He can do whatever the fuck he wants. Uh, how'd you like all this, Chris? Well, I, I loved it because it's very New Japan. Yep. As far as wrestling, when you're doing the backstage press conferences and you have a bazillion reporters, who the hell are the reporters? <laughs> it's just guys that you hire, I guess. I don't know. Like Dave Meltzer wasn't there. So. That would have been awesome. <laughs> hey, I, yeah, what are you guys, uh, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but you get what I'm saying. Yeah. So they hired guys that were reporters, right? Um, I actually think there's a chance that Jake just takes this title. And sends Cody over the edge? For a hook or crook, yeah. I think that's where they're going with the storyline. Especially because of what the Young Bucks are doing right now, where they're kind of the heel team. I think I think that might be where they're going, honestly. Uh, I could be wrong. But yep. it would make the most sense to me that you would, you would send this guy over there. Like, Jake Hager just straight beats him. He's going to hook an angle lock and just beat him. And then you get a submission match between him and Cody. That would be the smart thing, right? Because Cody's been winning via submission. Very recently, he's been winning via submission for like four. Well, like he gets caught in the ankle lock or something or whatever Jake Hager wants to throw on him. I mean, that guy's, like, he legit knows other UFC-type moves. Like, he put him in a bunch of different things. Yeah. But I'm assuming ankle lock would be the thing, right? So, uh, I, I think Jake Hager might win this. Because I think the end idea is to push Jericho out of uh, out of that group to have the comeback of Jericho, right? So, to me, that's how I would book it. I don't know what they're doing. But AW and my bookie mind are, are, are very similar, so I, I'm assuming that he's going to win that title. It's uh, 
it's weird. But, uh, yeah, I could see that happening now that you mention it. Here's something else that I find weird. The placement of this next match and the outcome. So they built with a package, and they re-showed it. Uh, Joey Janela and, and Sunny Kiss kind of meeting up to become a tag team. And they make them go against another storyline that's going on with Brody Lee and Cole Cabana. But who the fuck do you have win in this situation? We all we know the outcome now, but didn't really help Joey Janela or, or, or Sonny Kiss. But this is a good match. I'm you know, happy to see Sonny again back on TV. Um, this was long. It shows really because I think there was like a head scissors against Brody from Sonny and he, he bumped it. Like, Brody's a very impressive dude for his size. I think we always forget that. But it's also weird that Cole Cabana hasn't really 100% joined the Dark Order, but he's tagging with Brody Lee. And we know that, you know, Cole Cabana's a super baby face. But, but, yeah, they got the win at the end. And then afterwards, Lance Archer comes and attacks Sonny and Joey. And uh, Janela throws a chair at him, but Archer no-sells and kicks the shit out of him. And then Roberts is pulling Archer away. So now we got the scenario that seems like Jake can handle his monster. And what, is he going to just go against the two of them by himself? I'm confused on all of it. Maybe Jake's going to be the tag partner. I don't know. What do you think, Chris? Confusing, for sure, but... If the idea is that Jake can't control his monster and he's going to bury all these guys and that's your new star, do it. Lance Archer's great. (laughs) Yeah. uh, Yeah, like, there's no reason not to do that, right? Like, why is Lance Archer not murdering everyone on a weekly basis? Jake's like, like, I got you a title match, you know. Beforehand, you were just fighting in your backyard for fun. In a wrestling ring at Darby Allen's house, you know, <laughs> whatever the hell that was. But uh, I thought this was pretty good overall. Um, there's a lot of questions and it's a lot of booking decisions, right? I mean, for me, Lance Archer is the star of the guys that you mentioned, so I would push him. Yep. No, I agree. Um, so we had the next match. This was not supposed to happen. I forgot who FTR was supposed to No, they are supposed to go against uh, Dustin and QT Marshall. But like John Moxley, which we found out was related to his wife, Renee, uh, QT Marshall was in contact with someone who was in contact that got COVID. So he, was, he let them know that and isolated himself. Um, so he's not going to be back for two weeks. Which sucks because it seems like him and Dustin were getting some of a, something of a push. And I found the videos of DDP bestowing the diamond cutter to his fellow Jerseymen uh, that he's helped out in the past. Uh, pretty funny on Twitter. And also just, you know, whatever. I, 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 it, it could be another person to me, but whatever. If you want to give it to QT Marshall, go for it. Um, but anyways, so we had instead a fucking kind of a dream match with SCU and FTR. And it's it's uh, the fact the fact I love Scorpio Sky, but it's more of the old school of Frankie Kazarian and um, what you call it, Christopher Daniels, which we haven't seen that pairing in a while. And I thought these guys had an excellent match, especially since it was basically on the spot. Uh, they only had like I think what QT got a hold of them a day before the fucking taping or something, some shit like that. So it was a fucking great tag 
match. And both guys, I think that JR had a big smile on his face this whole entire time. They're grabbing the tag ropes. JR is very excited about that concept. Um, and FTR uh, ends up winning. I just go back. It's a lot. Of, it's It looked like a fucking match from back in the day, basically. It really did. It flowed well. I'll, I'll say, man, two guys, I got to say, they look so fucking stiff when they're walking and it doesn't take back from their, their in-ring work is Christopher Daniels and Matt Hardy, man. They look like that. Their, their, their bodies are, you know, they're getting older, but they're, they're in pain. <laughs> they look like they're walking, like they're in pain. And it kind of concerns me. I'm not trying to make fun of them, but both of them, I, 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 am I crazy for thinking this? But every time I see Christopher Daniels, he just seems like he's not loose anymore. He's getting older and he can, he feels the effect of wrestling. Same thing with Matt. I mean, uh, I mean, friend of the show, Christopher Daniels, uh, watch earlier stuff. Like 2005 him, he yeah. was doing crazy ass shit. Like Christopher Daniels is one of the he's best. He's getting older. He's one of the best wrestlers to ever step between the ropes. Like Christopher Daniels is great. He is great. But yes, he is getting older. And he's like, at some point, if you're not going over as champ, like. Yeah, you just you take the bumps and then you leave, <laughs> like you just said. Um, man, my God, I feel like we should call Christopher Daniels a little soon. <laughs> yeah, we should do that <laughs> because uh, I think the last time we talked to him was right before WrestleMania, even before AEW started. I know, man. It's just like talking to fucking. I love to talk to John Morrison again before he went. You know, when he was talking about, I might go to New Japan, I might go to Mexico, and then he goes back to WWE. You know, but um, getting back to the meat of this match, like I said, it was a very old school style match, but it's still very fast paced, a lot of fun. I love that part where Kazarian, uh, you know, they did a drop down and he goes for a leaf frog and fucking, uh, I don't know if it's Dax, one of them. I don't, I, I don't remember their new names, but catch them in the fucking air, throws them on the goddamn ground. Like it was a very violent match. And then afterwards we had something very interesting. Um, I think that to me, at least it wasn't as we should take one tag team out basically. And we should have inserted one in, but since they've already had interactions, uh, the Butcher and the Blade uh, come out in, I think they sold the truck, basically, of FTR, and they were talking shit to them, and, uh, you know, they were alluding that they should look behind them. The return of the fucking Lucha Brothers, completely, Phoenix is healed up, we have Pentagon finally back, and uh, Dax uh, said something funny online where he was like, you know, they were, they were like, zero fear. That's fine. You guys kind of hold the ropes zero times or something like that. Just giving shit to them. Uh, but I wish, uh, no offense to Butcher and Blade, take them out of the situation, put LAX in here, and then we're going to get a tag match. We would have gotten a tag match. We, we are getting one with Butcher, Blade, the Lucha Brothers, against FTR and the Young Bucks who came out to help out uh, FTR, which I think this is going to be a situation where Finally, afterwards, FDR beats the shit out of the Young Bucks. That's what I'm assuming. I don't know. And goes completely heel. But, God, could you imagine, Chris, if we just took out Butcher and Blade, who aren't doing that bad of a job, but we put LAX in that situation, and it's LAX and Lucha Bros against fucking <laughs> FTR and fucking Young Bucks? It would have been amazing. Well, Dane, can you imagine a world where 
one show has four tag teams the entire WWE. Damn, man. Just such <laughs> stacked, stacked tag teams. God, like, dude. if it was a territory, <laughs> like, Midnight Express and Rock and Roll Express would both be there. <laughs> Jesus. The Rock and Roll Express could be there eventually, man. Just well, let them yeah, come in. Yeah, I forgot about that shit. They are there. And the Hardys are going to be there soon, too. I don't think this Jeff run is going to last. No. Um, he, I, great. I look forward to this. I love Phoenix and Pentagon as a tag team and them pointing out their deficiency, deficiencies of not wrestling the American style of tag team uh, by not holding the tag rope or just doing whatever the hell they want. But at the end of the day, that's on your referee. Unless yep. the referee is gonna, unless the referee is gonna call it, like they're just doing, they're just being heels. The ref has to call it. The ref at some point, they need to have one of those where like Audrey Edwards is like, this shit's out of control, and just calls it and gives the win to the other team. And then now you know what that tag match is, right? The problem is the the people, the people that have a problem with this kind of match is it's a lawless. <laughs> You have a referee there, but they're doing dick all. It has nothing to do with the performance or what's jumping in the ring, and they're they're getting all over the place. You well, can do that, you know how all it. You know how lucha lucha tag team they do it a bit differently. You can just have a guy roll out on the same side; the other person can just come in. They don't really hold the rope. They don't really all the time tag each other in. They kind of it's a different. I heard Conan break this down. It's just a different in the way that. Mexico does it compared to the U.S. Exactly. Which, if you're going to try to like make fun of a team or punish them for it, then you do it through the rules. You yeah. do it through referees, right? So, like, you could have you could have uh, the Lucha Brothers about to win a match, but they cheated, right? In in theory of your rules, and you just send the match out. You DQ it. This is the problem with not having any DQ. I know they don't want to do DQ finishes uh, because of the dusty finish. So Cody is very opposite of that. But in some terms, there's a reason why to have DQ finishes. This is one of those examples. I'm very excited that Ray Phoenix is back, and I am very surprised that he came back so fast after surgery. That guy must be a monster. He's basically Wolverine. Yep. I agree. All right. Uh, next uh, next thing, Brian Cage comes out and destroys someone. Uh, well, first of all, before that, before that, Taz had another one of those segments where he breaks down a wrestler. Obviously, this time it was for Brian Cage. I really like, I like it when he does this. I don't know if this was just his last one. It was going to be for his wrestler, but it's been cool in the past. He kind of like Joe Matt or Joe Madden. John Madden's, like, you know, the circles, the situation of, like, what they do exactly and went over his uh, his finisher, which is basically the screwdriver. Um, I like that stuff. But Taz, him, come to the ring. They beat up this poor schmo, Joe Cruz, in a minute and 25 seconds. And then – and it's because Cage wanted to basically torture him for a while. So he was being a cat with his fucking prey or some shit. And afterwards, Taz gets to the ring and asks where Moxley is, says that, Moxley's at home scared, says Moxley can't keep running because of the machine. Brian Cage is going to take that title at Fighter Fest. 
Taz tells Moxley to ask himself if he can stop the path of Cage. The only thing that sucks about this is we know that Moxley is now quarantined, and there's a good chance, especially based on the fact that his wife has, uh, you know, COVID, that he's not going to be able to make it at Fighter Fest. So what the fuck are they going to do with their championship match or their match, I guess, with Brian Cage in general? What do you think, Darby, Al- Darby Allen. Oh, uh, that would be good. That would be a good replacement. They're just gonna uh, give. They're gonna give him the title because Moxley can't defend it. So you win the title, and then Darby Allen, or you just put it on the line. And like, even if Darby Allen loses, I feel like that's to me. That's what I would do. Right, and yeah. then you have a pissed off Moxley coming back. And now that they stripped him that he never lost very much CM Punk, like put it in the refrigerator or like, you know, Bones Jones when he came back, he's like, I didn't lose my fucking title. Like I got suspended, but I didn't lose my title. Like who's actually going to fight me? He doesn't want to fight me. It, you can tell that storyline, even if they had, even if he asked to miss the paper. And that's the storyline they should tell is like, I didn't lose the title. Like you guys I love came all up that. with your own. You came up with your own title, but I'm still the title holder because no one beat me, <laughs> right? And honestly, I would do that even if you have Darby. Darby can take another loss. I would actually have. I regardless, I put the title on Brian Cage as a heel champion. And if you do your scenario, then John Moxley comes back for his fucking throat, and you have something there. Um, you yeah. can even have a situation where Darby is wins the match. But Taz causes it to be, you know, some fuck finish, so it doesn't look that bad. And then you still have Darby wanting to get go after Brian Cage. You can go with that later, you know. I don't know. I like all that. I really do. Because what the yeah, fuck are you gonna I, do if he has COVID? I mean, He's out until it, what? <laughs> he can't do shit. What's he gonna do? Go infect Brian Cage with his COVID? Like, you know, people have lives. He can go back to WWE and get more of those shots from that doctor. It turns out wrestlers have actual lives outside of wrestling, Dane. I'm not sure if you're weird. Weird. aware of this. But going home to your wife, who works for a company, does zero dick all to prevent COVID. We'll get into that on the next show. But, like, yeah, yeah like, what is he going to do? I mean, to me, you strip the title. You strip the title because he's unable to defend it. New Japan does this. Other companies have done this. UFC does this. If you can't defend it within a certain amount of days, you strip it. You put it on the line, and you fucking put Darby Allen in there. Because they set that up in the ladder match anyways with him and Darby Allen. They did the skateboard thing afterwards. And he, like th- He's the most person that makes sense. And then whoever wins that match wins the title. Then when Moxley comes back, he's like, I'm the actual champion. It's just good storybooking. Like, I, I think they're going to do that because this one is not that far-fetched or that hard. No. And AEW is pretty good at booking. And I'm sure Chris Jericho said the same shit when they asked him about it. <laughs> All right. Well... Let's uh let's put all these segments together. Brody Lee and Colcaban are backstage, and they're gloating about their win. Lee challenges SCU at Fighter Fest and says that he'll bring his best men, and claps Colt or, or slaps Colt on the shoulder 
insinuating that I think those guys are officially in the same group. I don't know. It's weird because Colt's supposed to be buddies with SCU. And I think this is a number one contender match at Fighter Fest. Uh, the announcer run down to Cart Fighter Fest, uh, which is two nights, a bunch of fun matches. And I don't see a match with Darby Allen on there. That's kind of uh, interesting, going back to what we were talking about. Here's the best part. So Britt Baker doing her thing, but now she has this poxy glass, so she can't. So there's no way Big Swell or anyone can get to her uh, with Rebel, you know, on the outskirts. Who could easily be like her muscle, but instead she's kind of like just just her uh, I don't know her her personal care I guess. But one of the one of the notes she sent earlier that I can remember to Tony Schiavone was that someone needs to check out the uh, medical reasons of why Luchasaurus has a green tongue. Uh, just more funny stuff between her and Tony and Tony's reactions <laughs> of 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 being excited, but actually you know it's it's bullshit. Whenever she sends a note like "Yay, fuck my life." Um, but you know, she's running her mouth and, uh, says that she'll get her revenge on Big Swole, who then appears like, bitch, you talking shit. And you know, why are you running your mouth? And, and Swole, she's like, you can't get to me because this puxy glass. Well, Swole just climbs around and has a big thing of trash because once again, Britt says that she was trash and pours it all over her. Um, it was pretty funny. So yeah, that that that's about it. There, that she should be good. I think in two more weeks from her injury, and I think they've been setting it up really well and 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 putting good use to Britt Baker and getting Big Swole over too as well in the uh, in the scheme of things. What, what do you think, Chris? Thought it was a great segment. Also the the Big Swole the Big Swole uh, with with Britt Baker. God, that's. Tony Schiavone being involved in this is the greatest thing of all time, by the way. Uh, but, like, shout out to Britt Baker, who tore her ACL and is still doing this wrestling, basically. I don't know if that makes sense, but, like, she's legitimately injured and had to have surgery, and then she still shows up week to week to do these tapings and these angles. I hope she's back, and I, I really look forward to a match between Big Swole and uh, Britt Baker. Is that one, I think Britt's, uh, a Big Swole is a, a phenomenal athlete and uh, could be someone that's easily built uh, into a good wrestler. She's got, a, she's got charisma, for sure. But yeah... Apparently it wasn't her ACL, but it was it was still a knee injury, but it's not as uh not as bad. So apparently she's gonna be back in two weeks. So that's good. That's really good. Um Then we had our last match with Matt Hardy going against Santana. Obviously they're supposed to be against Sam Guevara. Well Between Matt Hardy and Santana uh, with Ortiz in his corner. Obviously, this is supposed to be him and Sammy Callahan, but due to stuff that we'll talk about tomorrow, Sammy was not there. But uh, this is a good match between the two of them. It was Damascus Matt Hardy, so he was doing the yes and all that. Um, but, you know, pretty good match, like I said, between the two of them. Santana is an excellent wrestler in the ring, and Matt is no slouch. Like I said, Matt once again looks. Like he's like he's wrestling her a bit. Um, 
you know, he looks in pain. The biggest thing is what happened at the end of the match. So Matt got the win over Ortiz. Santana or Santana Ortiz comes in, starts beating the crap out of him with a sock full of coins, and um, he lifts Hardy up, and Hardy hits the street sweeper, and then Mark Quinn and Isaiah Cassidy come running out to make the save. After the match and a commercial break, Orange Cassidy comes to the ring, followed by Chris Jericho. The two of them will now face in two weeks at Fighter Fest. Jericho asks why the chicken crossed the road and said it's a dumb joke that gets more annoying the more you hear it, which reminds him of Orange Cassidy. When he first heard his name, he thought it was stupid, and when he first saw him wrestle, he thought <laughs> it was an embarrassment to the business. Jericho's pulling uh, some Jim Cornettisms. Jericho says he calls called Cody the Bucks, Tony, and more when he signed him asking why. Uh, they all said the same thing. People love him. So he watched him more, and he kind of gets it. He's doing something different, and he's got over by being himself. And that's why people like Cassidy. He's lazy, a slacker, and doesn't have what it takes to get to the top, just like them. But OC broke out of his lane and made the mistake of getting in Jericho's business. And so far in the match, uh, Cassidy needs not bring some little shin kicks because he'll knock his teeth out. And he'd better dig deep into these pockets to find something special because he's going to squeeze the juice out of them. Cassidy takes Jericho's mic but sets it down and starts the shin kicks. Jericho looks pissed uh, as Cassidy puts his hands in his pocket. Jericho takes his glasses off. <laughs> Crushes them. Orange Cassidy tackles him to the ground and uploads. They brawl. They brawled fucking everywhere, man. They brawl in the corner. They spill outside. They fight over the barricade. And Jericho pulls Cassidy's shirt over his head and punches him hockey style. Cassidy slams Jericho into a railing. Then they fight up through the crowd. Jericho slams a camera into Cassidy, then gets on the top of a production box and drags OC up. Jericho lifts Cassidy up. Uh, but he drops down and slams Y2J into the railing. Cassidy's ear is bleeding at this point. Cassidy runs down the steps and hits a Superman punch that knocks Jericho off a box and through a table. Fucking great last segment. Orange Cassidy looks like <laughs> bucks. He looks he, – he make this is legitimizing him as not just an act as someone that can be like this tough ass. And it's – Chris Jericho's awesome, man. He didn't have to do any of this, and he's helping him out, and this is going to put him over. And I wouldn't be surprised if Orange Cassidy gets a win over Y2J at Fighter Fest. I really think that he might put him over because that's Chris Jericho. He's looking out at the concept of how can we get stars, how can we get better wrestlers. Orange Cassidy, part of his gimmick is kind of silly. The heels always, you know, if it's Pac, if it's Jericho – they don't fucking sell any of those 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 kicks. So this is bringing the inner rage that we've seen sometimes in the independence uh, circuit that uh, you know Orange Cassidy's kind of known for, and he's a good in-ring wrestler. So it's it, it, I don't know, man. I, I uh, Orange Cassidy is a very different styled wrestler. I don't think I've ever really seen one in the past that has a similarity to him. Um, you know gimmick wise and i hope this helps him out and i love chris jericho man great great fucking promo what do you think chris 
one, Chris Jericho is amazing. And two, Orange Cassidy is amazing. Being able to get this over as a mainstream gimmick to where Chris Jericho will sell for you <laughs> is incredible. It's like we talked about to begin with. It's like he's going to do his Orange Cassidy thing. I mean, if you go back like a, a when we first saw the signing, the Battle Royal, the original match with him, I was like, well, that's weird that they would put him in there because he is a very different wrestler. But he's modded that and made it become, I'm pissed off and now I'm going to wrestle seriously. And he's been a highlight of very important matches. Like, to me, him climbing on top of Brian Cage's back is, like, one of my favorite moments from AEW. Like, when Brian Cage is going for that <laughs> at the pay-per-view, he's going for the, uh, we'll, we'll just call it a money in the bank or the title shot or whatever. <laughs> he's just on his back. Like, Carl, like, it's great. Like, he knows what he's doing. He's very, very good wrestler. Um, I think the the mindset sometimes is just like, this is what he did in the independent scene. But the independent scene is so different than, like, this is what we're going to put on TV. And he has proven, or at least to me, he has proven that he is a good-ass wrestler. As, as Brian Alvarez has pointed out, like, I mean, you don't have to do silly shit to have a good match with Orange Cassidy. I mean, you can do silly shit and, and make sure his gimmick gets over, but he's still a good wrestler. You can just have a normal-ass wrestling match. It's phenomenal. I love Orange Cassidy so much. I just thought of a dream match. I know I said one was uh, Orange Cassidy versus R-Truth. Another one, and it's not really based off of anything except for – because the other wrestlers, not the greatest wrestler, as you noted beforehand – but if you had Big Daddy Cool Diesel and Orange Cassidy work out a match of who's the coolest, that would be fun. I think I would uh, – I'd pop. It's like zero wrestling there. They're like – Well, it would be a lot of evading, basically. Orange Cassidy running around him and Kevin trying to grab him. But, you know, he could do something. Yeah, him and Kevin are looking at their Pog collection. It's like, who's got the best Pogs? <laughs> like playing a game of Pogs every <laughs> Nine dudes are awesome. Cool <laughs> All right, but do you no, want to get that, to NXT? Oh, sorry. No, I was gonna say that would that would also be a great match. I mean, Diesel versus anyone like these kind of characters is, is great because he's a good big man. He only needs five moves. He's yeah. Undertaker. He's just yeah. a shittier version of Undertaker, but like <laughs> <laughs> it's Undertaker. He only needs to hit like the big leg, the leg drop. That, you throw that him corner, in the corner move. Yeah, the shoulder bump in the corner. Like, it's Diesel. You just book it like a Diesel match. It'd be but great. Who is, in, re- in, in wrestling, though, there's not many people in, in reality, uh, screw his skills or his politicking, that's as cool as Kevin Nash, you know? He just seems like a cool dude. Yeah, I'm sure that pisses uh, Scott Hall off a lot though because like one Scott Hall is cooler and also he went through that whole AWA training system and can actually work. Yeah, yeah, that's a good <laughs> point too. Uh, Razor Ramon versus fucking uh, Orange Cassidy, same type of concept. It would probably be like one, two, three, kid versus <laughs> versus uh, Razor. I gotta stop fantasy booking. I know. Uh, let's Scott, get to NXT. Scott Hall's pretty good, turns out. <laughs> yeah. 
Dude, I, 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 until he got his fucking drinking problems. He was so much better, obviously, in WWF than he was in WCW. It just was a slow decline. I mean, even in AWA, if you're talking about ring work and shit, yeah. like, he's working with people that shouldn't even be in the ring. His big ass tossing around it. And selling? That's the that's the big difference. It's like Scott yeah, Hall was a great seller. He's a he's a big guy, but he didn't just need to be a big guy. He could sell. Uh, and it's the same reason I give Sid a little bit of a break because you have yeah. to know know how to sell. And Sid's a great seller, even when he's not breaking his own leg. <laughs> so, <laughs> oh, 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 God. But, uh, it's true, though. It's true. But it's part of it. And I think that's part of that. Like, I think Sid came out through kind of the same system that, you know, Razor, like Razor, Scott Hall versus Scott, like uh, Kevin Nash. It's it's very different. Kevin Nash is, is very much the Hulk Hogan. I just need to do five things. And I'm going to look cool while I'm doing it, which is awesome. Because he does look cool while he's doing it. I'm just saying, if Kev, if you're out there, Big Kev, if you want, we we'd love to interview you because <laughs> I've heard your interviews and you seem like a really cool dude, you know, just someone that you just, hey man, how's it going? You know, I'm Kevin Nash. Hey, anyways, let's let's move on to NXT. Uh, we opened up with a, a good match. I just was kind of puzzled by the ending of it uh, with Cameron Grimes and Damian Priest. It wasn't a long match either. Uh, you know, it kind of started off with Cameron originally before the, uh, the match itself, taking out Damien, slamming himself in, in with the, his door in his car, or implied that he did, I should say. So Damien was hurt. Cameron Grimes got a pretty big win over Damien uh, Priest, and it looked like they were they were kind of, you know, trying to bump Priest, but he loses Dijakovic, he loses the Lee. He loses to fucking Finn Balor, and now he lost to Cameron Grimes. So, kind of questionable concept of uh, what seems like Scott Hall's protege. But Cameron Grimes, man, woo! Ah, he's so fucking weird, but he's such a good wrestler. What did you think about this match? It was fine. I'm still confused on the booking. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> yeah, like, that one I have no answer for. But uh, the match itself, I thought was pretty good. I I don't know what you do with Cameron Grimes for here. Did you have an idea of if you could book him in any way you wanted, what would you do with Cameron Grimes? I have no idea. I I really, I really don't. Outside of changing his name from Cameron Grimes, because it's like a fucking terrible wrestling name. Uh, Who is someone that he can have a program with that's a baby face that would make sense? Balor. I don't know. But he's already but kind they, of they, did that. So. Yeah, Balor got his win back, and before he got screwed over. Here's another question. What do you do with Damian Priest now? Because I, Damian, he's lost a lot. They basically created two canes and put them in a feud together. <laughs> you realize that, right? Like, it's like, well, you know, like every once in a while, we're going to have you look like a monster. But the other times, you're just going to be taking L's. Yeah, it's just like credibility <laughs> with, uh, with um, what the fuck's his name? The, the Belfast, be- the Beast of, God damn it, Killian Dane. You know, Killian... 
not just based on his influence, could be like a Van Vader, but it's, well, actually, he's getting used like Vader was in the mid '90s in WWE. Like, you get a win, you get a loss, loss, <laughs> loss, loss. You get a win. There you go. Well, I mean, maybe he should uh, listen to Vader and start taking up real estate. You know, like it worked out for Vader, okay? Yeah. Or just like you know, <laughs> get in a fight with Adam Cole backstage and then cry. Uh, what Lord. what happened? Tell me. Tell hold on. I need to hear this story. Did he get in a fight with Adam Cole and cry? No. Killian uh, Dane did Vader after that incident with with Sean where he fucking bitched him out. Uh, very similar to what Randy Orton did to Kofi and. You know, other people have done this, uh, the stupid shit. But when when Vader, I guess, screwed up and Sean got pissed off at him, he was in the back, and uh, I think Vince let him have it, and then afterwards, JR was in there, and Leon started crying. <laughs> and Jim Ross, who told this story, he probably does a way better job than me, had to be like, Leon, get, are you fucking kidding me? Like, get the fuck up, you know, you could, like, you could murder someone get the fuck over it and basically like, you know, let's get to the next town. But he had to give him a little bit of motivation because he got well, pretty well, upset. With Shawn Michaels. Yeah. I mean, we should talk a little bit about that because like if you're missing your spots and there's a giant ass target, it's probably on you, not the giant yep. ass target. All Vader but does Sean is was catch a dick people. bag, man. <laughs> all Vader's job is to catch people. <laughs> That's all he's doing. He's just catching people. He's like, all right, Sean, you're going to the top ropes? Okay, cool, I'll catch you. Man, <laughs> unlike, uh, <laughs> unlike AOP, who <laughs> can't catch anyone. <laughs> Jesus <Yeah>. Christ. <laughs> like, uh, sorry, I didn't mean I didn't go off on a tangent, but I was like, I, I thought you I thought you said that that recently happened, not to the video. No, I was just saying. Like, imagine if that played out with Killing Dane going back there and beating the crap out of Adam Cole or some shit, you know, uh, using, I guess, Adam Cole as kind of like a, I mean, there's a lot of at least, well, Adam's doing it as a fucking gimmick. Sean actually, at that point in late 96, 97, was that fucking gimmick of just being a fucking asshole. But uh, anyways, if, I, if, I'm, if I'm Samoa Joe, next time I see someone in AOP, I'm choking them out. <laughs> Like, Jesus Christ. They dropped him four times. It's still relevant. It's still relevant. <laughs> well, let's get to the next match. We had the debut of who was El Fantasma, now Santos Escobar, with Joaquin, Violin, Joaquin Wilde sorry, and Raul Mendoza. He's DJ's D. That's what I always know him as. Stupid. Uh, going against Jake Atlas. And they had a pretty damn good cruiserweight match. It ended after seven minutes. And Santos obviously got the win. And I like this presentation. I like what's going on. Uh, we all know what's going to happen, though. Drake Maverick is going to have some redemption, and he's going to go after Santos. But I like – I don't know. I like this trio. I like this concept that they're doing. He's, he's kind of not only taking on Drake, but he's desecrating the the lineage of, of, of Luchador. So now if there is another Luchador they want to use, which they have a million of them, uh, he can kind of fucking take action to that. There's a lot that they can do, but I think that eventually within the storyline, Drake's going to get that title. But it's still, I'm looking forward to Drake Maverick coming back. I'm looking forward to the feud evolving between him and this new group led by Santos Escobar. Very uh, 
very put names in the hat type of name. Anyways, how'd you like that? It's it's such a great wrestling name, Santo Escobar. I mean, even though he's like a Mexican luchador and that's a very Colombian name, it's it's great. I love it. I love the gimmick name. I never give them credit and I bitch about gimmick names all the time, but that's that's a good one. The whole crew has good gimmick names in this little group. Uh, my big problem is they should have booked it like I was saying, where you screw Maverick over at the pay-per-view. Now, like, he lost clean, right, without any interference or without this exposure. So now they're heels? The whole fucking thing is weird. Either the guy's a heel or he's not a heel. Wouldn't it have made more sense to pull the card at the pay-per-view to screw Drake over for the title? I mean, everything else around it, I think, has been okay. Uh, because we missed, like, Drake Maverick, I think, last week had a pretty good promo. And I think he's been great. Uh, Rockstar Spud turns out it's pretty good. Um, but I is the storyline is so weird. It's like, why wouldn't they have screwed him over in the first place if the entire idea was getting a Cruiserweight championship, but he just wanted clean. So, like, why does he need a team to retain it? You get what I'm saying? Yeah. No, I definitely get what you're saying, but I guess we'll have to find out. Will Drake Maverick have some people on his end to help him out? Maybe they'll bring Lucha House Party into it, even though they're on SmackDown. It's like, well, they're they're technically 205 Live, so he can have them, you know, get backed up by these two badass luchadors. I don't know what happened to Kaliso. I know he got injured, but he's been gone for, like, two years, it feels like. But, um, yeah, it's interesting stuff. He, he, he's gone. His contract was up. He left. Oh, shit. Kalisto, we probably about that, and I completely um, forgot. Yeah, Mystico. This is like a year ago. They had oh, a no, no, no. That was, that was Sin Cara, right? Yeah, well, Mystico is... Yeah, Sin Cara. Sorry. <laughs> I forgot what WWE called him, because they ruined his fucking gimmick. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> Alright, so. well, this this next match I thought was pretty good. I think uh, the main reason is I think a lot of Dakota Kai and I think a lot of the potential of Caden Carter, but Dakota Kai and Raquel Gonzalez also using a very Shawn Michaels diesel type of concept uh, went against Casey Canizaro and Caden. It's a good match. Um, Gonzalez looked like a beast. Casey looks like I think she took the pin in it, but I'm really the potential to me is Dakota. And Caden. But I also like that they're building tag teams with NXT because they're finally fucking bringing those titles slowly for at least matches on the, that product. Because eventually, if you get the titles off of anyone on the main product and bring them in NXT, then you can actually do something with those tag titles and make fun fucking matches and shit. Um, to me, at least. But uh, how'd you like this match, Chris? I like the match. I also like the combination of maybe building tag teams. And as we saw with the ratings this week, um, having big stars show up in a tag match can bump your stock quite a bit. So Sasha and Bailey, for instance, they're no slouches. And if you have good tag teams down there for them to wrestle as a tag team, as the tag team champions and make it, if you build it properly, it can definitely work for your company. I, I thought this was great. Um, also, Caden Carter is very underrated. Yes. All right, so Karen Cross and Scarlett came out. 
They had a match against Bronson Reed. I've been impressed by Bronson in his last couple of matches, like I said. It's cool to have a big guy who's a little bit smaller, but says his favorite wrestler is fucking Earthquake, and that was his biggest influence. It's like, dude, I fucking love John Tenta. So, you know, he got a little bit more offense than I, you know, you would think. Karrion's been just going through people, but it, it was less than three minutes. Karrion got the win, but a strong win for Karrion Cross. It continues to make uh, him and Scarlett look like badasses. And, uh, yeah, Bronson Reed, man, uh, he lost, but got a little offense in. How would you like this segment, Chris? It was a good squash match with a great entrance by uh, kind of my new favorite couple in, in wrestling with Scarlett and, and Killian Cross. Uh, I, I love the John Tinta thing. But that's a different conversation for a different day because I met him when I was like six. And he shook my hand. And he was just such a nice guy. <laughs> He's such a nice guy. I love Earthquake. How big is he in real life? I mean, as a kid, it looked like a dinosaur. <laughs> but I was like seven. So I, I don't know. This would have been at the Gainesville Civic Center <laughs> when I was like seven years old. He looked massive. He's a very, very large man. Yeah, dude. No matter exactly how big he was, he was basically. Sorry, I love John Tenta. So we do. This is we should just call this the John Tenta podcast because, like, the goat John Tenta, like a big guy, he could move. Had great tag teams in both companies. Like, how is he not in the Hall of Fame? Let's let's talk about it, WWE. All right. Well, now I'm done with talking about John Tenta. So we will move on. All right. So our next match was set up beforehand with a little bit of uh, Robert Stone trying to get Rhea Ripley to join his brand and just failing miserably, getting punched in the stomach and Aliyah getting pissed off about that. Rhea Ripley challenges to her match. Pretty much destroys her in three minutes, and we have another, you know, match win for Rhea Ripley. I don't know what they're doing with it, really. Um, are they going to put her back on the tile picture? Should they put her up, you know, to, I hate saying the main roster, but you know what I'm saying? What are they going to do with Rhea Ripley, Chris? Feud with EO because Charlotte's out for two months is my guess. But I, I think the end goal was to have her feud with Charlotte for a title belt uh, on the main roster. So I'm assuming that she's going to feud with EO and then move to the main roster. I could be wrong, but that, that would be my best guess. This match was also pretty good. Or the segment, I should say, is pretty good. Yeah, it wasn't much of a match. All right, Dexter Loomis. Okay, so... They've been doing these training segments. Some of it, like, it's WWE. Some of it's phony, and some of it's like, all right, whatever. Kyle O'Reilly is their therapist, or or Robert Roderick Strong's, I should say, therapist, trying to get him over his fears. One thing I that Bobby Fish was in the trunk with Roderick Strong. Why isn't he having any of these PTSD issues with Dexter Loomis? Maybe he's just more stronger-willed. I have no idea. 
But it's, it's one thing that's kind of like bothered me within this whole thing. Probably stupid. But Roddy can't get over it. He's freaked out. He's freaked out of trunks. So they finally get him to get in the trunk, and he does it, and they're all jumping up. Yay! And he has a match with Loomis and gets so freaked out by him that he gets counted out. Loomis gets a victory because Roderick Strong runs in the back with Bobby Fish going, what the fuck just happened? Um, do you like this? Like, I don't know how I feel about this, really. I know that there's probably supposed to be some involvement with the Velveteen Dream, but obviously, due to stuff that we'll talk about tomorrow, that there, there's no involvement with him. So they're doing Loomis scares Roddy really, 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 really bad. I kind of feel bad for Loomis because he is booked into a situation wrestling-wise of The Undertaker. He can only do very certain things, and he can't sell. So, like, all of his matches, as, like, a guy that likes the in-ring performance style, we're not going to like. <laughs> because it's going to be that, right? So, yep. uh, it's... It, it sucks Velveteen Dream's not involved for obvious reasons, which, we'll, like you said, we'll talk about tomorrow. But, that, I mean, that's kind of how it felt about the entire thing. It's just very is, – is, uh, is disjointed a good word for this? Because I feel like it's very disjointed because whatever their original storyline was, obviously they can't go through with it. Well, you know – the thing with Loomis, when he first started and then he was gone for a minute, I don't know if they were like, we needed to work on him. And even when he came back, his style wasn't really fully that Undertaker style. He had more elements, like I said, of Jake Roberts. He was sliding on his stomach and doing subtle things like stalking them. I guess Orton's another person that kind of does that, but like certain things like that. And then it seemed like all of a sudden, boom, he's Undertaker. He's no selling everything. He's doing pretty much Undertaker from, like, what, nine, 1989 to fucking <laughs> 90, 90. To 94, I guess, 95. Yeah, yeah that, that first run of Undertaker. And I he had more, it, it seems like, more of an arsenal at least. So I hope that if he has a longer match, because that's NXT, you know, he's able to show off more than just that. That's what I'm saying. I mean, he needs Adam. I mean, he needs like Ciampa or Gargano or Adam Cole to really show that he could be that Undertaker guy. But right now, he is so booked into a corner of what they're asking him to do that it makes me not really like him as a character because I know the matches are going to be bad. But I I liked the general direction where they were going. I don't necessarily know about the car kidnapping thing. Him, the PTSD and him, ultimate warrior, like him being basically a WCW character that's there, but not really there. Like, there's a lot of things I already hate about this, but I'm going to give it a benefit of a doubt because I think they're booking him like 90s Undertaker. And, and that's not on the performer. There's still like, there. There's definitely potential there. I mean, we gave a bunch of good – if you go back like four weeks, listeners, uh, we gave a bunch of good potential things that they could do with this guy, and uh, they went the opposite route, in my opinion. And I, I'm not going to say – like, I don't think he's a bad wrestler. I think they're asking him to do very little and no-sell, and uh, we'll see if it actually works out. But they don't – to me, they don't have the huge – 
Like, they don't have the huge baby face that's necessary to get this guy to, like, an Undertaker level. Unless yep. you're going to bring someone down. I don't know. One thing, I don't know. I guess you could have him. I don't know. We'll have to find out. It's 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 weird because, like, obviously things got screwed up that was supposed to happen. And I think they were going to go more in a tag direction with him to kind of give him some flavor, put him with Velveteen Dream. You know, do that weird gold dust Booker T or Mankind Rock sort of situation, but we're not getting that. Um, yeah, well, that's about it. We'll have to see what happens with them. The last match, though, of the night, I think was the best match. I don't think that's very hard to say. It was a match, triple threat, uh, for the NXT uh, North American Championship between Keith Lee, Finn Balor, Johnny Gargano. And the stipulation was basically whoever wins this is going to go against Adam Cole to for both titles. So it's a very interesting prospect of what exactly is going to happen right now. Because Keith Lee retained it. And I kind of didn't see that happening. I thought that this was going to be Balor's match. Balor was going to have, you know, the NXT North American champion. And then you have, like I said, the, one of the most prestigious champions – in NXT for the, the men's division against the current Adam Cole for both of these titles. And you could either have Cole have both titles or Finn Balor. doesn't really matter in that. But they kept it on Lee. I knew Gargano was not winning this. I think that Balor took the uh, the, the, the uh, loss, I believe, which was a little bit surprising. Yeah, I think he, got, he didn't get the spear bomb. He got his other finisher, that power slam he does. But... Keith Lee, man, is a fucking beast. I mean, I, I think we say that every single time. I'm kind of glad that he doesn't do as much high-flying stuff. I think he needs to save that for uh, the pay-per-views because I've seen him get pretty damn close to fucking almost destroying himself doing the flip over the ropes. Um, but that spot where he showed his strength and he fucking – he suplexed – no, no, no. Well, it wasn't a suplex. He grabbed them both and just – threw them over his back, and, you know, a lot of times wrestlers obviously have to project. He looked like he fucking deadlifted them, like it was nothing. So, fun match, liked the interaction again with Gargano and, and Finn Balor. They really had a good match beforehand. I don't know what this leaves for, for Balor. Really, the goal was him against Walter for NXT UK. and that can't happen right now because Walter's over in the UK and has opted out of wrestling uh, because of everything. Um, or now he's probably in Austria because that's where he's from, but whatever. You know what I'm trying to say. So we can't have that match. I don't know what the hell's going to go for Gargano either, but we're going to have Keith Lee, North American champion, going against Adam Cole, NXT champion, for the, the championships, basically. One guy's going to get them both. It makes sense for Keith Lee and then do something with Adam Cole, possibly on the main roster. Or you give them both to Adam Cole and you put Keith Lee. I don't know. I know that Vince is very – he's very about Keith Lee. But it would make sense for him to have both titles because he hasn't had that main one yet. And Adam Cole's had the fucking title forever. So I don't know what they're going to do, man. This is crazy. What do you think, Chris? I honestly have no idea. I agree with it. It makes sense that he would have both titles. But I feel like it's just a Royal Rumble victory for someone like Keith Lee. Uh, if Vince is super behind him and he's a great wrestler and he's a big guy that he can push, it it would make sense for him having like a big impact at the Rumble or or winning the Rumble even. 
uh, versus winning the title on NXT. I think Adam Cole is just going to be a forever NXT guy. Same thing with Ciampa and Gargano. And if that's their decision to do that, like as gatekeepers for whatever is considered the main product, uh, I I think that's fine. I mean, the idea is to make that show have, like, a million viewers, right? So, like, having top guys there that people really like, I don't think is a bad idea. NXT is in a weird spot because they've called themselves the developmental brand for so long that yep. it sometimes it doesn't even make sense because when they go up to the main raw, I mean, it's a completely different mindset of what you're asking them to do. So, for, like you know, the undisputed error and some of the other cats, like it, it may be better for them not to go to the main roster. Like Matt Riddle going to the main roster to me makes a lot of sense, especially yep. if you get a Goldberg, uh, Matt Riddle, if you, let's say that we'll get into the allegations tomorrow or whatever, but like there's certain people that yes, you can put them there, but like, I don't know what you do with Adam Cole. If you put him in the main roster, like who is he going to feud with? Are you going to bring the rest of the undisputed era up? It's it's one of those. Now Keith Lee is a plug and play guy to me. Like you can throw him on main, have him win the rumble, and he could be a big star for you. Uh, versus the rest of the NXT roster, in my opinion. Yeah, man, he's I don't know. The man's got so much swagger, but he seems like it's it's more of an intellectual. It's like if you put like aspects of Neil deGrasse Tyson and Mark Henry together. Speaking of Mark Henry, you guys should watch that big show Netflix series, listeners out there, just because Mark Henry and Rikishi show up, and it's great. It's kind and of Mick. the best thing. It's, well, yeah. It's fine. Mix there, but like big guys eating buffet shrimp uh, and the way that they sold it is kind of great. All right, so let's talk ratings, man. This is uh, kind of crazy. Uh, this week, NXT won. Uh, they drew 786,000 viewers, uh, 5.4 plus from last week. Uh, and uh, whatchamacallit, topping uh, 633 from last week. Um, uh, no, 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 I'm sorry. I'm, I'm reading this fucking incorrectly. Uh let me go back. So NXT drew seven, yeah, seven hundred eighty-six thousand, and Dynamite drew their lowest, six hundred thirty-three thousand. Big difference. I don't really understand the surge of uh, viewers for NXT. Uh, they've won almost every like every demographic. Um, it's uh, crazy uh, a bit. You know, when you when Chris originally showed me, I, I was like, oh, OK, W beat NXT. Like, yeah, like it always fucking happens. Like, whatever, we'll be fine. But then I realized that he actually told me NXT kicked the shit out of AEW. And I was like, what? Like, hey, I, I like both shows, but I got to say I, this last week, I actually liked AEW's show better than NXT. I thought NXT's main event was great. Um, and a lot of aspects of it. I like NXT. It's, it's I usually put it over a lot, but. Just didn't see us coming. Uh, what do you think the fluctuation in ratings? Uh, what 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 happened, Chris? I have absolutely no idea as far as what 
happen. I will say the key demographic, the 18 to 49 market, AEW one. Yeah. The highest percentile, which is the one that uh, advertisers look at because you're the most willing to spend money because you're not. But correct me if I'm wrong. It was like neck and neck, right? Yeah, it was close. And uh, other than that, AEW got pub stomped basically in the ratings, which hasn't happened since uh, they started pulling. Like, it hasn't happened since they did the NXT uh, WWE main roster crossover where there was, like, a slight invasion angle. So it is very weird. And I, I, I don't know. I mean, I don't read too much into this stuff, but if you're an NXT or if you're AEW fan only, uh, I guess watch on Wednesday <laughs> because it matters to the, the, the parent companies, right? So, um, yeah, no, they got smoked. Like out, like I said, outside of what the key demographic is, which is 18 to 49, which they won, they got smoked. I mean, by like almost 200,000 viewers. So it's it's a weird thing to talk about, and uh, maybe some of it was the Sammy Guevara allegations. Uh, who knows? Who knows how that actually affected? I mean, it could even be like the Matt Riddle Velveteen Dream allegations that made people tune into the show. This is a weird week in general because of the stuff that we're going to talk about tomorrow uh, as far as how people tuned in and, and what they were actually trying to see versus wrestling. And I'm not making any excuses. Either way, AW got smoked this week. But yep. uh, I could definitely see that there – to me, it seemed like there was an increased NXT viewership to see if there was going to be comments about Velveteen Dream or, a, or, or Matt Riddle. That could be it, man. I also think that the rating situation, we've talked about this a million times. The Nielsen rating system is kind of a joke. Uh, They don't really go by – I mean, one of the biggest things, obviously, is viewership um, with DVR. So how many people are actually watching it in general within maybe a day radius or something like that or off of other type of streaming platforms. You know, there's – it's something to be said – that the rating system itself is flawed, but this is what advertisers look for. So this is a win for NXT, regardless. We can't really say one thing or the other. Yeah, I mean, I agree. They won. I'm just curious on why they won and what kind of fans are out there that only tune in if something bad happens. Which I hope not. That's kind of what I'm thinking occurred, just because of how hard it skewed. Um, But... You know, looking at it in the, in, the, in the glass lens, it doesn't really matter. I mean, they have a lot of good stuff going on next to you. It's a good show. And it's not like they're that far apart ever. I mean, like, you're maybe talking 100,000 viewers on the ratings each week anyways. Even when NXT won or when, like, there was one time where AEW was, uh, uh, like, went past a million viewers or whatever. But that's very rare. Like, they're... Literally, like you're talking like 150,000 viewers each week on these ratings. I'm not, I'm not too worried about this because, like, to yeah. me, NXT is beating AEW all the time, anyways. Because if you own, the, like, if you own the WWE network, which you would, because this would be the reason you're watching NXT, you just watch it later on their network. They exactly. kind of cannibalize themselves as far as like having a live show goes because you're giving us a stream option. It'd be like if like Netflix put out like making a murderer 
but they showed it on Fox also. Yeah. <laughs> like, it doesn't... <laughs> so it, it's weird in general. I think there's a lot more viewers of both products that aren't necessarily tuning in to watch it live. I think people just don't watch TV outside of sports where it's like, you know, like, like uh, we're in extra innings and the Braves need to hit a home run to win this game. Like outside of something like that that's uncontrollable, you, I, I don't think that people view sports the same way. And knowing wrestling kind of is is a work, it does become almost like a movie or something. Or like, well, I'll just watch it later, um, whether it's live or not. The live model in general, I I think that they're gonna realize doesn't work. One for the performers because you're asking them to go all over the place, all over like all the time. Um, which is gonna suck. Like if you want to go see a live wrestling event, but I I think they're coming to terms with that a little bit. And it's like how do I keep people entertained in more of a streaming service? I guess. No, that makes sense. <clears throat> but um, hey, regardless, big win for NXT this week. Let's move on to we're gonna combine the SmackDown shows because both of them were very very short and brief, but. I thought were pretty good in certain aspects. I love this opening for last week's uh, SmackDown. AJ Styles was in the ring with Renee um, and about to receive the Intercontinental Champion, but he demanded that Daniel Bryan put it on him. Good heel shit, man. AJ Styles is great. Matt Riddle – or Matt Riddle. Going ahead too fast. Uh, Daniel Bryan comes in the ring. Uh, you know, AJ's just being a dick about it. He wants him to go over his accolades and, and you know, praise him. And uh, Daniel Bryan starts running him down about how, like, oh, yeah, your, your championship reign would be great. It could be great if you, I don't know, defend it every week. Maybe against Chad Gable. Maybe against Graham Metalik. Maybe against, and he's listing other people. He goes, maybe that would actually make your title reign good. So this gets uh, a little bit. Where they get in each other's face, Matt Riddle crashes Styles' party and makes his SmackDown debut, uh, and basically kind of challenges him and gets AJ flustered because we know that's easy to get. And they have an impromptu match, uh, come back from commercial, and AJ allows everyone to know that no, this is not for the fucking title, not gonna happen. Basically, pulling some heel shit. Uh, the original Bruce Starr match, like he shot out of a fucking cannon, landing a German suplex and a gut wrench throw right after the opening bell. The IC champion did his best to chop down the newcomer, but when Styles when sorry when Styles turned his attention to Daniel Bryan outside the ring, Riddle capitalized with a furious bro Derek for the win. Um, I thought this was a good match. I like where this is going with, you know, a feud between AJ and Daniel Bryan still, but also AJ going against now Matt Riddle. Given all the other stuff, we like I said, we'll get to that tomorrow. But just going just based on this itself, I like this opening. I like Daniel Bryan calling him out. And I like some of the guys that he pointed out because they're guys that Daniel Bryan himself has said that he wished would get pushed. He's always put over Chad Gable. And said he's an amazing in-ring wrestler and always put over Graham Salik as one of the best Lucha Libre wrestlers. So it's uh, it's it was good, man. How'd you like this opening? 
and the match. I thought it was a very, very good match, obviously, with, uh, I mean, so many great performers. The Matt Riddle thing made it a little bit weird for me. But, uh, yeah, I mean, like, if the, if the end goal feud is AJ Styles versus Daniel Bryan, at least we're going to get a good match out of it. And uh, I feel like there's no focus on what AJ Styles is other than just being really great at wrestling. Yeah. If that makes sense. I feel like there's a lot more they could put into the AJ Styles character considering everything he's went through post-Undertaker um, that they haven't put there. But, you know, AJ Styles is AJ Styles. Turns out he's pretty fucking awesome. Shout out to Gainesville, Georgia. <laughs> yep. So, so Shorty G, Mojo Rally. You know, they had a little altercation the week previous. Shreddy uh, had a match with them and uh, grabbed an early upper hand with a backstage jab to Mojo Riley before entering the ring when Mojo got in his face. The scrappy superstar was not discouraged by the size disparity, but was pushed down early by Raleigh. When presented with an opportunity, Shorty G sees it with an impressive counter into an inside cradle for the victory. I mean... You're still making him fight from underneath. I don't think Chad, based even on his fucking size, where there's so many wrestlers that are close to his size, you know, a Finn Balor, he could still be a badass. He doesn't have to be that styled, but whatever. He got a win, but it was against Mojo Riley, so I don't know. Do you feel the same way, Chris? I mean, 100%, but I also don't want to take a, 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 a whole lot of time talking about how Shorty G is underutilized and they basically trashed his career. Shorty yeah. G, he's a former Olympic athlete. <laughs> like, Shorty G, he's wearing basketball shorts. Like, and what the hell did they try to do to this guy? It's bad. It's like giving uh, Terry Taylor the Red Rooster gimmick, in my opinion. Yeah. That, I put this. Wow. I put this in the same. I put this in the same level of that. Of like, how did you fuck this guy up? You fucked this guy up pretty hard. That is a great comparison, though, man. Ugh, wow. Uh, all right. So we have the new day, Kofi Kingston and Big E going against Lucha House Party, Grand Metalik and Lindsay Dorado, and uh, good match. Um, after a setback against Shinsuke Nakamura and Cesaro, the new bit day looked to regain their championship form against Lucha House Party. The SmackDown Tag Team Champions teamed up for an aerial assault to get the victory, but the King of Strong Style and Swiss Cyborg wasted no time springing into action against the title holders. With last week's victory and this brutal attack, Nakamura and Cesaro continue to state their case for a championship opportunity in which they did to Michael Cole and basically was like, you know, we're here, fuck off. You know, that's what Cesaro basically said to him. So I like how strong, <laughs> for once, they're pushing uh, Nakamura and Cesaro. And with the win last week, Chris, and this beatdown, you know, once we get that tag title match between Cesaro and Nakamura and the New Day, who have had those titles for a while, do you think they might just hop them on Cesaro and uh? And Nakamura. I mean, maybe, but aren't we in the cusp of uh, 
is Xavier Woods about to come back? I think he's about to come back, right, from the Achilles thing. So Could be. maybe just New Day holds it. I, I don't know. Like, it's really hard to tell what they want to do with Cesaro and Nakamura. I think they're just guys. And uh, once again, tag team division doesn't matter in WWE. So, like, even if they win the tag titles, they're just going to go against Miz and Morrison in the New Day. And also, what the fuck happened to the Usos day? Where are they? Uh, well, um, yeah, like I said, Jimmy, I think, is still injured, man. I don't know why they don't use Jay more, but that's how it is. He was in, um, what the fuck? He was in some, oh, he was in a tribute to The Undertaker, which we'll talk about. All right, so the last match for last week's SmackDown, not the one from last night, if you couldn't figure it out. We had Sasha Banks with Bayley going against Nikki Cross with Alexa Bliss. This all happened when the women's tag team champions once again took their talents to the announce booth this week, but Nikki Cross and Alexa Bliss took expectation or exception to their latest round of disparaging comments. Cross was particularly disturbed as she attacked Sasha Banks to set up a match with her outspoken rival. Cross aggression carried over into the bout, but the boss countered with a meteora and pinned to flex her muscle as the golden role model, the blueprint, Sasha Banks. Um, I don't really care. That's all I got to say. I mean, I like I like seeing Nikki Cross. You know, she's been revved up last night and the week before that. So it's good that they're putting her back to how she was in NXT, I guess. But if she doesn't get a win, it doesn't really matter. So, you know, it's whatever. Sasha's going to be going against Oscar for the championship. That's they're, – they're pushing her. I get it. Uh, how'd you like this, Chris? I thought it was okay. That's the best thing I can say about it. It was just there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. So last night, and the last thing we'll talk about on SmackDown, big promo package for uh, Undertaker going over his whole entire you know career. Really well done, like they always do at WWE. Um and it started off with everyone basically in the ring, you know, chanting for Undertaker. Uh, of course, Baron Corbin had to make some disparaging comments about him and discredit him, which would be his downfall later on. Uh, then they showed the Boneyard match, which is credited as of right now, because I don't know, as the last match for the Undertaker against AJ Styles, um, which obviously we don't have to go over. It was a fun segmented match. I just, all right, so we'll, we'll, I want to go into this retirement concept. You, if Undertaker wanted, to me, there's two things. It seems like Undertaker would want his last match to be in front of an audience. And Survivor Series marks 30 years from when he actually debuted. I just, there's that. And there's also the fact that if he wanted to, if you want to do another match like you did with AJ, like the Boneyard match, it doesn't take anything away from him physically like the fucking in-ring stuff does. So he has that option. But I just don't know how much I believe that Undertaker is fully retired. Maybe what they'll do is Survivor Series will come around and Undertaker will come out and speak to the audience. And they'll kind of commemorate his career based on that. But do I think that 100% he'll stay retired, especially with the options like the Boneyard match? I don't know. 
What do you think, Chris? I think Undertaker is just going to do whatever Undertaker wants to do. I know that's a very shady answer, but I mean, he should have retired after the, the Roman Reigns match when he left everything in the ring. So at this point, it's like, you're going to offer me $2 million to have an eight-minute match in Saudi Arabia or whatever. That's hard for anyone to pass up, especially if he's not selling. Like, if you look at some of the matches that he's had there, where he's just choke-slamming dudes or whatever, he's not really... He's not being the Undertaker of old. He's just hitting all of his spots. It's very hard for me to be like, he is retired, retired. But if he is... And we've talked about this even going back to that Broken Reigns match. Our old school WrestleMania preview of that, or in preview or review or whatever, where I was like, Undertaker don't owe anyone shit, so if he's done, he's done, and I'm completely fine with it. Uh, he keeps talking about, even in the documentary, he talks about how he, like, he loves the fans and he owes the fans so much. And I was like, yeah, you do, but I think that you've paid it back in tenfold. It's like, Jesus Christ, it's not like it's not like you had a one-year career, Undertaker. You're like, we have 30 years of Undertaker to watch. And uh, from that standpoint, like, if he's done, like, if he's done and is happy to be done, I'm completely fine with it. I'm not one of those fans that thinks that I need an Undertaker match at Mania unless he just wants to do it. You know, if, if he wants to do it as a person, that's a very different story, but, like, Undertaker doesn't owe us shit as fans. Like, Ric Flair doesn't owe us shit as fans. Arn Anderson doesn't owe us shit. <laughs> like, they've given us so much anyways with their body. Mick Foley, for instance. Like, there's not, like, there's no comparison. Like, why? who cares? I mean, I guess because WWE made it a mania gimmick, like, it doesn't matter. Like, Undertaker not being there, it's still just going to be another wrestling game for you. You're either going to watch it and love it or not watch it. It has nothing to do with The Undertaker. Now, you can put him there on commentary. You could build a new Undertaker, someone with a hot streak. There's a lot of things they could have done in the past 30 years to make a new Undertaker that they didn't do. Um, but, under, like I said, Undertaker doesn't know a shit. So, like, if he's done, good. Happy retirement, Undertaker. But I also don't believe it's his retirement because Terry Funk retired, like, 78 times, so. And also, Ric Flair said he would never retire. So there's that. And he's still on WWE. And Jerry Lawler's still wrestling, for Christ's sakes. <laughs> anyway, so Jeff Hardy was not happy with Baron Corbin's comments. He uh, cut a promo on him, and it set up a match at the end of the night that we'll get to. We had a match with Nikki Cross, Alexa Bliss, Dana Brooke, Lacey Evans, and a four-way match to become number one contender for the WWE SmackDown Women's Championship. And it was actually a pretty good match. Uh, basically, the SmackDown Women's Championship opportunity was on the line as a quartet of the blue brand's top superstars met in a fatal four-way match. The intensity was high from the start, with all four superstars shining at different moments of the clash. The determined Nikki Cross couldn't be denied after Lacey Evans delivered a woman's right to Dana Brooke, but left herself open for the pin. Um, and so they're giving Nikki a chance against Bailey. She's not going to win. But still, I like, like I said, that they're going with this more psychopathic uh, version of Nikki. Uh, you know, like the week last time, Nikki just, you know, she was in the back and she was all flustered. Alex, and she just went after Bailey and Sasha, uh, who are on commentary, and just, you know, got an impromptu match with Sasha, basically. 
but now it's same type of concept. So I've always liked the chaotic Nikki that was more presented in NXT. This new bubbly best friends with fucking Alexa thing could care less. This is going to be a good match. Nikki's still going to lose, but I like this match. Any of these ladies could have got it outside of Alexa because I love Alexa, but she's had the fucking title a million times. But I would have loved also if if if, uh, if Dana Brooke or Lacey Evans got it, but that didn't happen. Um, what do you think about the outcome of this match, Chris? I'm on the same standpoint of you where it really didn't matter because we kind of know where the story is going to to go anyways just based on their booking being around two top stars that are on one brand who happen to be a tag team slash best friends I guess and the fact that Charlotte's in the wings so it's really hard for me to care about it when you're not telling me an interesting story yeah that's a very good point (laughs) that's a very good point Uh, alright so we had a four on four match the New Day, Kofi Kingston, Big E then Lucha House Party, Graham Atalik, and Lindsay Dorado going against Cesaro, Shinsuke Nakamura, The Miz, and John Morrison in an eight-man tag. It was a pretty length – well, it was about 11 minutes to match. And it basically uh, – a collection of Blue Band's best tag teams uh, were presented in this from what this uh, summary says. A week after the win over the high-flying duo, the New Day teamed up with Lucha House Party – against two pairs of their rivals, The Miz, John Morrison, Shinsuke, and Cesaro. Nakamura gave his team the upper hand, uh, with who pinned Kofi, like we said two weeks ago, to get that win over him, uh, gave his team an upper hand with some devious tactics outside the ring against Kofi Kingston. Vicky uh, began pancaking every opponent. Uh, an insane aerial display from Lindsay Dorado and Grand Metalik took out Miz and Morrison, and Lindsay Dorado pinned the Miz to secure the win. Was that fun? I, I liked Lindsay and, and Grandma Talik both getting uh, not a push necessarily, but just been taken seriously a bit more in the last couple of weeks. Uh, it kind of foils and develops their tag division a bit. I think SmackDown has more tag teams in a structured tag division than Raw does. Like we've gone over has like fucking three, but um, good stuff going forward. I don't know where, this is going. The one thing I will say, we need John Morrison outside of this. I want him in the Intercontinental title picture. But, um, yeah, Chris, what would you think about this whole thing? I thought it was a pretty good match overall. I, I like a lot of the performers that were involved. Um, I don't know, man. SmackDown to me is just so bad right now. Is it just me? I, like, I don't understand where they're going with anyone in, in the company. Like, they just have matches. Well, I don't know. Um, some things, yeah. Some things, no. I feel the same way about Raw. But I think that's I mean, just... Oh, with the exception of, like, AJ Styles and that main title picture, there's just a bunch of dudes wrestling. Yeah. Which is fine. <laughs> but that that's kind of hell out. I felt about that match. I mean, I, I think it's just uh, me being very disappointed in what SmackDown was two years ago versus now. Oh, when Road Dog was booking and they decided to kick him out? I mean, and, when and Jimmy Jacobs. Was, yeah, when whoever was making good SmackDown decisions was booking. That's who it was. Yeah, 
Oh, and I forgot about this from last week, but I'm glad that they're telling me that this was replayed. So now they're positioning. Uh, Braun Strowman came out. He did a promo the week previous, uh, you know, talking about what he's going to be doing next. Bray Wyatt came out. No, that's what it was. So Bray Wyatt was coming back with his Firefly Funhouse, and he's on in his Funhouse thing talking shit about Braun, basically. Braun enters, you know, is like, I'm not playing your games anymore. And they went to Bray, or Funhouse Bray, I should say, saying that you'll be facing a completely different version, someone that you're much more, you know, acquainted with. Cut to a promo of old school Bray Wyatt, you know, even in the uh, God, I forgot the name of the wrestler that he used the the the, the Hawaiian button up his old school look with his Louisiana accent thrown in there, and uh, it's gonna be the old school Bray versus Braun. Here's a question though, because uh, Braun would come out and you know talk about how maniacal and how evil Bray Wyatt really is, and how you don't know him on a personal basis like I know him. Like this man one time got bit, uh, you know, was playing with a snake in front of him and it bit him three times and he was bleeding and he was smiling the whole entire time. Pretty good dialogue. Didn't come out the best from Braun, but, you know, he did his best. Um, but, yeah, if you're going to go against fucking Braun Strowman for the title, I mean, I like the three-face fully concept, but you think that it's time for Cactus Jack, a.k.a. The Fiend, to come out and get his fucking title back. I don't know. That might just be me, Chris. Yeah, I I, I, I agree with you 100% on that one. A um, little bit distracting because I was pulling up all the New Japan stuff, but uh, I don't think that you misspoke on anything I would spit on. All right, so we had the match with Jeff Hardy and King Corbin. Following uh, King Corbin's despicable disrespect to the legendary Undertaker at the Open of SmackDown, Jeff Hardy came calling, and a match was set up between the two competitors. Blue Brand superstars surrounded the ring, uh, in not a lumberjack fashion, but just in honor of the legacy of the dead man, and cheered uh, the charismatic enigma to be able to beat Corbin, you know, the big bad heel. Corbin flexes muscles at times, but the gritty Hardy uh, would not be denied as Big E, as he won, beat Corbin. And then Big E did his finish to him. Braun Strowman did his finish to him. Kofi Kingston and Matt Riddle and all those guys took posts, you know, cheering with Thank You Undertaker uh, going off the air. Decent ending. New, very predictable. Uh, They put a lot of stock in Matt Riddle. (laughs) Since he was one of those guys, along with the tag champions, the world champion, and Jeff Hardy in the ring. Imagine a company where you put a bunch of stock in people that may not be there. Jesus. Remember about <laughs> months ago when we were saying that Matt Riddle and Velveteen Dream would be huge on the main roster in the next couple months? Yeah, I know, right? In retrospect. But, like, Jeff Hardy, for instance, why are they building storylines around him? Because, one, he just lost to Sheamus. Like, he lost clean to Sheamus. They're building storylines around him. Like, he's going to stick around. Um, He's not sticking around. Spoiler alert, WWE. (laughs) I I don't even know. I mean, like, it was good from a TV standpoint, but there's just so many wrestlers involved and 
these different situations. That's like, if that's what you guys were planning to do for the main roster, uh, like a main event program for the next few months, like I don't know where that leaves you at all. I guess the house that AJ Styles built, he's just going to have to carry them on it on his back for a while. Like, you know, that like the, the quote about the, you see those motivational, like Jesus posters, like when there was one set of footprints, that's where I carried you. That's what they're going to ask of AJ Styles. Yeah. Thank God. Thank God they have AJ Styles and Daniel Pryor. Because, I mean, I would say since we haven't seen the fiend in a while, who is a popular character, they've definitely diluted. But still, definitely one of the more popular characters. And they have a couple of the big names. Kofi's now in a tag team. So he's not a single superstar representing anything. Their biggest stars are Daniel Bryan and AJ Styles, I would say, right? Yeah, I mean, it's not even close. And I feel like even if, in like, you know, Braun has a title, but no one even talks about him. So, like, if you look at Threads or whatever, like, no one talks oh, yeah. about him. Like, he's the champion, and you just said, oh, yeah, there's a problem. Your champion should be your top guy. So like AEW, when you're talking about the champion, it's 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 Dean Ambrose or even NXT. Talk about the champion, it's it's Adam Cole, baby. Um, it's an afterthought, which points to there being a systematic problem of the company in general when your top guys are wrestling for the IC title and that's not your main event picture. Like, what is the point of having this uh, albatross of a title? with a guy that just does vignettes and is not a great wrestler and Bray Wyatt. Maybe I'm being a little bit of a dick, but uh, that, I mean, it is what it is. It's the mystery behind him that the, that's, that's where the popularity comes from. But yeah, I, I agree with you completely. Um, so the last thing that we need to talk about, you know, and we were, you just alluded to it. Uh, is is stuff involving New Japan and their tournament right now. Um, can you give us a breakdown of, of some of the stuff that's happened? I unfortunately haven't got a chance to watch any of it as of yet. Um, you know, what's going on with New Japan now that they're they're back? They're back. Well, we're up to night five. We're up to night, night five. So <laughs> there's a lot of stuff that happens. I will give you the big moments from night five specifically, which is the last one that I will watch, which was uh, the 24th. Um, so far, like the, the biggest matches to watch from it would be Takahashi versus Yano and Okada versus Nagata. They obviously transferred through. Our predictions of what the tournament was thus far has been pretty spot on. Uh, as far as the people the, we would think would progress in this tournament, I cannot find a full bracket um, preview, unfortunately, to tell you what the bracket is. But I will say, um, in the second round match, Okada versus Nagata, a 20-minute match, and it is... It's like Okada had never wrestled before. Like, he's had, like, so long of a break, he went all out. He's hitting pitch-perfect drop kicks. He's if if you're a wrestling nerd like me and you are, it's something to behold against Yuji Nagata, uh, which just further proves that like Okada is one of the best of all time. But it is such a great, great match. I highly recommend watching that one specifically. But we're still looking at like your top opponents, which 
I mean, on the bracket, probably Ibushi, like I said, or um, if they want to go the Tanahashi route at the end goal. On the left side, I, I still feel like all roads lead to Okada, so Okada is going to be the finalist on the other side, and he is he is not let us down. This man has stayed in shape and has had some. He has zero ring rust apparently, Dane. But um, very crazy. The uh the the Tanahashi Yano match was a very good comedy match. I don't know if that makes sense. I mean, like, maybe one of the best I've ever seen um, as far as, like, if you're going to do a funny-style match. But uh, Tanahashi versus Yana was was pretty damn good. I got to check out both those matches, man. And, yeah, just Okada versus Yuji Nagata. We know Yuji said, I think, two years ago when I was – Two or three years ago, when I first started watching New Japan, that he was retiring, and the motherfucker still doing matches. That year, he was a part of the G1 tournament, and I think he was. Uh, that was the last time he was part of the G1. But such a you know very underrated wrestler to American fans. I think a lot of them know him for Nitro and you know being a great part of that whole entire Japanese uh, invasion, if you will. With um, what was it, Sunny Ono? Was his uh was the manager? Yeah, yeah that whole thing, bringing uh bringing different Japanese talent involved and being in in actual real life uh partnered with New Japan with Eric Bischoff to be able to get these talents there. But he is huge in Japan, and I don't know. I mean, him and Okada probably had a great match. I'll definitely have to check that out. And then Yano and Takahashi. Are you kidding me? So Hiromu and Toriyanu got to have like a comedy match. It still is probably structured. It still is probably hard hitting, and it was probably re- really entertaining. Is what I'm assuming. Yeah, I mean, it's one of the best of those kind of matches that you could have. And, and it just makes me really wish that we could get our truth versus like Tanahashi. <laughs> Honestly, <laughs> um, no, it was good. It was good overall. I will say what you're gonna love about the Okada match, if you don't mind me giving a spoiler alert here knowing that Okada won, right? Um, no. He gets he gets hit with the enziguri, he backs off the ropes, and then he just does a head and arm choke. And that's how he wins the match. He doesn't even hit a Rainmaker. That's what they're doing with Okada right now in this tournament. So, like, if you're an Okada fan, definitely tune in, because he's not just Rainmakering and Tombstake and stoning people. He's, he's making all of these matches very intricate, and he has... And the past four months changed his style. I mean, you're still going to get all your cliche Okada stuff, but he's not giving you the same finish. It's not just going to be a Rainmaker out of nowhere. Like, he literally won off basically getting knocked out and put someone in the arm, a head and arm choke, like UFC style. And the fact that, uh, you know, Okada, he, he, closed, he closed the show with a press conference in the ring, which is typical Okada, right? But it's very different. And Nagata's selling of getting choked out, one of the best things that I've seen in wrestling in a long time. Definitely, uh, definitely an episode to check out. That The night five of New Japan, if you're, if you're uh, one of the subscribers to New Japan World, uh, definitely check out night, night five, specifically the Okada uh, New Japan. They got a match. It's great. And if you're going before that, um, as far as things to check out, 
I would say check out the Abushi match. I thought that was one of the uh, one of the better matches. So let me break down some brackets uh, for the second round at least, and we'll go until uh, where they are now. I think that they just had, like you said, to the quarterfinals. I found this on a on Wikipedia, but Bay going against Ishii, Ishii winning. Toriano going against Hiromu Takahashi. Obviously, we talked about that. Hiromu winning and advancing. Uh, Okada going against Yuji Nakata, winning. Um, Kinemura going against Taji Ishimori. Ishimori, uh, wow. So we're getting we're getting term um, we're getting Ishii going against Takahashi and Okada going against Ishimori. That should be fucking awesome. And obviously, we haven't gotten to the next night for the other bracket. But the winners, uh, the matches at least, are Taichi versus Kota Ibushi, Sonata versus Sho, Yoshihashi versus Bushi, Evil versus Hiroki Goto. And I want to say, Chris, a lot of the win- winners are the ones that we, we kind of said we're going to win the first round. So we've been pretty spot on. Now, I, I didn't advance it to the next rounds, but very interested in Ishii going against Takahashi and Okada going against Ishimori. Yeah, I mean, there's it's just such a stacked lineup. It, it kind of sucks that some of the UK performers weren't going to be able. We'll, we also we'll talk about Will Osprey tomorrow, I guess. Um, but it, it 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 was a weird tournament. It's very much a Japanese roster in this tournament. Not a lot of American talent, but. Uh, or, or European talent, I should say. America or European. Usually you see a little bit sprinkled in, you know, like a Michael Elgin, which once again we'll talk about him tomorrow. Um, Jesus Christ, Dane. Not going to see him. <laughs> Actually, you might see Michael Elgin back in New Japan sometime soon. He might be able to go back there. Jesus. <laughs> I can't name a wrestler without being like, well, actually, we'll talk about it tomorrow. Is like... Roman Reigns was right on just staying home through all of 2020. I'm <laughs> just saying. Um, <laughs> I mean, July 1st, this is the big one. We get uh, Koto Ibushi versus Taichi, uh, Sho versus Sonata, Goto versus Evil, which I hope Evil kills him. Because <laughs> that will be great. And uh, Hashi versus uh, Koto Ibushi. So. We, we got some... We got well, some I'm down. And that leads to the quarterfinals. I mean, there there's some good ass Japanese wrestling right now. If you're into that kind of thing, and if you're not, you're an idiot. No, I'm just kidding. You guys can like whatever you like. Anyways, I think that's it, guys. I think that's another episode of Wrestling Geeks Alliance. Thank you guys so much for listening. We'll have all the shows and information on stuff next week. Um, and we're gonna, like I said, we're gonna do a special edition. Um, that's going to be coming out talking about Tessa Blanchard and her future. We're going to be talking about the quarantine, not the quarantine, the unquarantine, if you will, uh, the COVID and the infections of many WWE up to 30, I think now, um, you know, within workers, wrestlers, pretty much everyone. This is, this is getting crazy over there. And then, all the allegations going on against the male wrestlers. It's going to be much more, I'm not going to say explicit, but I am going to analyze stuff that I would normally probably be tamer with. So, uh, you know, if you guys want to listen to it, 
where that's going to be up. If if you don't feel like listening to that type of stuff, I completely understand. It's a it's a messy situations altogether. But we're going to have an episode about it. I hope you guys enjoyed our summaries for all the shows. And, uh, yeah, just have a lovely weekend. And, uh, Chris, you got anything to say to the good people out there? No, man. If you want to talk to me, you can be at, at Chris R. Patton on Twitter. As always, more than happy to talk about wrestling. If you want to talk about these allegations, we can talk about those as well. We just wanted to give you guys a happy episode that was just about wrestling, not people's yep. personality behind the scenes. So hopefully you provided that. And if you want to get into us shitting on people that are very terrible people, <laughs> we have the allegation show coming tomorrow, as Dane mentioned. So uh, I love you guys. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll, I'll ship it back to you, Dane. Thank you very much. And if you guys want to get a hold of me, Dane Alves 42 on Twitter, Dane Alves on Facebook, message me. And uh, thank you so much for listening. You guys have a wonderful day, and always be a part of the Wrestling Geeks Alliance. Thank you, guys. Peace out.